Good we're recording morning, this time. <laughs> How are you? I'm well. How are <laughs> we you? We did not forget. Yeah. I'm very excited. Oh, no. Oh, this is I'm the one to spill all over myself this time. Yes. About fucking time. Don't look at my tummy. So this is funny to me. I don't know what beer you're drinking. <laughs> you don't know what beer I'm drinking. Uh, but our cans have like same color yeah. scheme. That's kind of funny. <laughs> They're very colorful. Yeah, mine's very colorful for very sure. Very colorful. Uh, what beer are you drinking oh, that's today? Interesting. All <laughs> right. So I made a boo-boo. So we were like, hey, we're going to delay recording, right? And I was like, yeah, that's fine. We're good. You got to get mm-hmm. better. We're good. And I was like, I was out yesterday. So normally we record on Fridays. We did it. So I came home from work and was like, I don't got to run to the liquor store today. So then yesterday, Saturday, (laughs) rolled around. I went and saw a movie. And then I was like, I'll hit up the liquor store after the movie. Instead, I came home, had some lunch, and just stayed at home the whole day. And I told (laughs) myself, you'll just swing over and grab something tomorrow. But it's Texas, and they have some stupid thing of, like, don't go to a liquor store on a Sunday. It's God's day. So (laughs) I was left with the only beer I had left in my fridge, which has nothing to do with this episode (laughs) at all. (laughs) Okay. But it works, because at least it's beer. So I'm drinking, uh, it's Noma Gang. It's from a brewery in New York. It's a Belgian-style blonde ale. Okay. I'm not going to lie. I picked it up because I like garden gnomes, and it's just full of gnomes all <laughs> over the can. Yeah, that's awesome. So, okay. So that's, that's my beer well, today. That makes me it feel a little better right. because like mine bad. is not really related to Good, good. Mine is not really related to the episode at all. Um, good. The only thing that makes it kind of Mission impossible is that it has a uh, helicopter on it, and that's kind of like a Mission Impossible <laughs> thing. It's called Paradise Porter, right. and uh, and it's really good. It's a it's just a porter from the Crabtree Brewing Company in Greeley, Colorado. Um, and it's not super sweet, even though they use 15 pounds of Haiti cocoa nibs and coconut. Uh, it's not super sweet, so I like it. It's all good. right. All right. Yeah. Uh, you don't got to really try too hard to see this, but it's weird drinking a blonde ale that is a 9.5 percent ABV. Oh, that's, wow. a, that's a little high for you, non. That is weird. That's super fancy super or weird. beer, snobby beer. That's. That's really high for a blonde. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's not absolutely. bad. Hi, Jake. It's been All a right. minute. <laughs> it has been a minute. Uh, and I think that you will enjoy this. We have in the movie draft, you're definitely catching up. You are doing, I would say, well relatively well um 
this is the closest you've been in the box office since mid-April. Uh, so I think you're, you're definitely catching up. What the fuck? Hold on. And as Jake. far as things, uh, well, I would say that The Flash has helped, but it hasn't really because The Flash has shit the bed with its whole production. <laughs> yeah, the uh, like week at over week box office has just plummeted. And uh, I saw a headline today that they're pulling it from like 100,000 theaters or over 100,000. And uh, I saw another headline that it's going to lose like $200 million, which I think is close to what they say Black Adam lost. And Shazam 2 didn't oh do well. So, yeah. God. Warner Brothers and The Flash are just struggling. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, you know, it's hard to get the movie to be successful when like your star isn't allowed to promote it. Um, and when... And the whole audience knows he's a piece it, of shit. The whole audience knows he's a piece of shit. You don't buy that he's a hero anymore. Um, and also everyone knows like it's the last of the Snyderverse. So everyone's like, what does it matter? And uh, yeah, yeah, it was kind of crazy. I read it second week. <laughs> it dropped like 73% of return audience members which was insane yeah <laughs> it's like it doesn't help yeah, that all the headlines bad. around that's it super are bad. uh that's really bad and it doesn't help that the main thing everyone keeps talking about is the shitty cgi in it so no one wants to go and mm -hmm. watch shitty cgi for two and a half hours um I didn't hate it. I thought right, it was, right, it's still exactly. fun. It was entertaining. I thought it's very comic book movie, which I appreciate, but definitely wish it would have been better. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it should have been yeah. better. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then obviously Mission Impossible comes out in the next week. That's why we're here today talking about all the movies. And then we are mm -hmm. two weeks away when this comes out from what I'm calling the gentleman's double feature, which is Barbie and Oppenheimer. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> the, the weird phenomenon, which apparently seems to be 20 to 30 year old dudes who are hyped for Barbie. I, I don't know what exactly the deal is. I think that middle, middle age, is that middle age? Young adult aged dudes sing Barbie is cool like sitting on your chair backwards is cool just because you're not supposed to do it uh, i think that's why mostly white people are into it um i think it's funny that apparently the the joke of barbie and oppenheimer coming out together uh has even got to margot robbie and who is it that directed barbie um starts with a g greta gerwig thank you they posted a photo of them buying tickets to Oppenheimer for like the battle of it. Yeah. I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> I'm definitely seeing Oppenheimer. Obviously it's like, I mean, it's yeah. 
it's Chris Nolan. Come on. <laughs> I'm right. still trying to convince no, my daughter good. to go see Barbie. So I don't look like a weirdo single <laughs> dude walking into the theater. <laughs> I just kind of hope that it ends up yeah, being just so nice. like tongue in cheek and like stupid mm-hmm. meta, but like the funny version of that. I That's what I hope Barbie ends up being. Just doused in pink, so yeah. much pink. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> right. Yeah, so much pink that they caused a shortage in the entire world that they don't make that much pink normally. <laughs> it's it's a little bit much for pink. It's a little much. <laughs> well. Uh, okay. What new things have you seen lately? So I've seen a few new things. Um, I saw Asteroid Good. City, which was enjoyable. Okay. It's Wes Anderson, so you expect it to be weird. I enjoyed it. Um, I know I've I've been vocal uh, as to saying that I've always thought like Moonrise Kingdom is actually one of his weakest films. I enjoyed Asteroid City more Mm -hmm. than Moonrise. Um, It was different. I went into it not reading up anything about it. I just went and saw it because I wanted to. And didn't realize going into it that it's based on a play. Well, not based on a play. It's the movie is a play. And that weirded me out for the first little bit because I was like, wait a minute. I thought this was something (laughs) else. But... Not in a bad way. I enjoyed it. It was fun. It made me laugh out loud a handful of times. I was shocked by one thing. Mm-hmm. So the movie is PG-13. Yes. PG-13. And okay. my daughter had debated seeing it with me because it's quirky. It's weird. She thought like, well, Steve Carell's in it. Black yeah. Widow, you know, Scarlett Johansson's in it. It's Black right. Widow. She was like, I don't know. I was like, his movies are odd, but this could be a fun one. It's got a bunch of kids that are like nerd, you know, geeky, genius nerd, whatever. Mm -hmm. She ended up not wanting to see it with me. So I went and saw it. I'm kind of glad she skipped it because there is full (laughs) frontal nudity in Asteroid City. Male nudity? No, Scarlett Johansson nudity. nudity. But it was like... matters. Oh. Right. Okay. I was like, whoa. <laughs> like, I thought this was PG 13. <laughs> like, you don't expect to see yeah. the full deal in a PG 13 rated movie. And I was like, <laughs> we've hit that point in our uh, rating system. All right. You can't say motherfucker in a PG 13, but Weird. you know what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's really weird. I've never it seen It took me that. off guard. It really did. It's like, huh? I also never saw the French Dispatch. I never got around to watching it. I feel kind of bad. Okay. Yeah. So I'm falling behind on Sanderson movies. (laughs) But Asteroid City, (laughs) which I should, it's still it's entertaining. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, have you watched the Arnold documentary yet? No, I really want to. I've been meaning to. I think you will super dig it. It's pretty cool. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I 
I've always been a fan of Arnold watching this documentary was like, it was like watching that Michael Jordan one where you're like, you have moments of being kind of a dick, but I respect you because you (laughs) clearly have made your path. Like he has paved his own way throughout the whole thing. And it's pretty cool. You should watch it. It's really good. Really good. Okay. I'm really interested in how it's laid out. Like it's a, I think it's a three part thing and it's him conquering bodybuilding and then conquering movies and then conquering politics and all this stuff. Uh, The fact that he's able to do any of those things is amazing. I really like how they set it up. It's just really cool. Really cool. Um, And then I went and saw no hard feelings because I needed just a, uh, Mm. something dumb that might make me chuckle. And you know what? Yeah. It made me laugh. It made me laugh pretty hard okay. a few times. Like, it's not great. It's pretty mediocre, but it's like <laughs> entertaining mediocre. So I, I would recommend it. Like, yeah. it, it has some funny moments in there. And we get so few, like, real comedies yeah. that it's kind of worth it just like, to it check just, it out for that reason. Like, it's so dumb. There's so many moments in it where you're like, this is cringy, but that's like the joke is how crunchy it gets. <laughs> so I appreciated it even yeah. more. Uh, and okay. it was nice seeing Jennifer Lawrence and something again. I nice. was thinking about it about halfway through the movie. I was like, yeah, I feel like it's been a long time since I watched her in something new. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. that might just be me, but I feel like it's been a while. Um, and then, yeah, I saw the big one. She gets naked in that yeah. too. I, I went and saw Indiana Jones. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Saw Indiana Jones for the news here. It's very entertaining, but I feel like I need to watch it a couple times before I can actually have an opinion because I realized something by the end of it, Mm. where I was like, I went in already with kind of low expectations. I was entertained. It's better than Crystal Skull, but that's not hard to do. Okay. Um, (laughs) Right. But I went in, I think I just like subconsciously was expecting two and a half hours of just constant like member berry shit being thrown at me. And it's not. Yeah. There's like, there's a few little things just like all the other movies have done where they'll throw like a little nod to something or just a blatant, like he brings up temple of Mm -hmm. doom, which I thought was a weird one to Mm. specifically call out. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. cut. Yeah. But I'm not a fan of de-aging and this movie, like the whole 20 minute opening is nothing but de-aging stuff. And I was Uh, like, oh man, it's really just like, don't, don't be petty about it. Don't be petty about it. But it was a little, (laughs) I got to watch it again. I'm going to see it probably a few times. It was entertaining. I do like the fun, like, the very end is well done. Uh-huh. I will give it that. Like, okay. But Jake, there were moments I was like, oh, Jake's going to throw his hands up at that. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> how is the overall mystery or the adventure, the things that they figure out and the relics um, and stuff? Is it all right? They teased me with one relic that I got really excited about. And then they go to something else, and I was like, oh, shit, that feels like a missed opportunity. <laughs> but let's see what they do here. Mm. Um, 
but the whole like going on this adventure thing it was fun it was it it's pretty reminiscent of uh all the others i guess you could say i think my biggest gripe is there's like too much emphasis on his goddaughter yeah that's that's probably my only gripe she does fine like she's good in it i had a feeling but too much emphasis on her like no offense okay but it's an Indiana Jones movie. Like it's not Goddaughter in the Dial of Destiny. Right. It it basically could have been called that. Um, it's entertaining. Go watch it. Like I'm gonna watch it a couple times before I okay. really let myself have an mm-hmm. actual opinion. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That means you didn't love it. I did not love it. <laughs> but I enjoyed it more than Crystal Skull. Okay, it might be all right. I think is what like, it sounds like the more I thought about it, I started like nitpicking stuff, so I had to stop myself on that and be like, "Okay, mm-hmm. dude, like, are you just nitpicking because it's like a meaningful franchise <laughs> to you, and you're bummed that it's over?" Right. And then I was like, "Okay, when it comes to the conclusion of a franchise, is it anywhere, anywhere on the scale of like Halloween ends?" <laughs> And the answer is no, (laughs) it's nowhere near that scale. So with that mentality, it's all right. (laughs) It's not not bad. bad. (laughs) I actually, I saw a thing with Harrison Ford about it. And I guess he was like the primary like push of why they do some of the stuff with Indy in this movie. Like he was thinking, this is Mm. what Indiana Jones would be doing. This is interesting to see him. Yeah, in this world at this time. Um, And that made me kind of like rethink the movie a little bit. So I'm excited when I go and watch it again, just with Mm -hmm. that mentality of like what the perspective from Harrison Ford actually was when they were making it. And I'm sure that'll help me be like, okay. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Well, good. That sounds not bad. No, it's promising. It's more promising than crystal skull. There's no stupid monkeys. There's no swinging on the vines. <laughs> they don't drive a fucking Jeep into a tree and use it as like a, a catapult. <laughs> um, they do yeah. one thing that I was like, oh, my God, you thought you would have thought they'd learn from the fridge in Crystal Skull. But they didn't. They do one stupid thing where you're like, okay. why? <laughs> but then it, it goes away and you're like, <laughs> OK, I can forget about it. and We move on. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay. What about you, Jake? Is that all you watched? Okay. Uh, I haven't watched much since last time we talked, even though nobody heard that conversation. I yes, I have been sick, but not like sick in a way that I'm watching a bunch of movies. Uh, Sick in a way where I'm like sleeping slash taking care of a sick wife and toddler. Uh, Also, kind of trying to. Um, But. I wa- I did watch the season two finale of From, and it's very good. <laughs> and also, they renewed From for a third season, so everybody can rest easy and start watching it because you won't be disappointed. <laughs> um, and I'm pretty sure this is the only I, I've been watching Succession, okay. and I do mm-hmm. like it. I think it's getting better as well. Uh, we're into almost at the end of the second season, and so it, it is good. Uh, it's 
enjoyable to watch for sure. And I'm caring more about the characters, cool. even though they're all relatively unlikable. Um, so that's good. And then I'm pretty sure that's about it. Other than I've been watching Mission Impossible movies hey, over and over and over. There's nothing wrong with watching <laughs> Mission Impossible over and over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> so you yeah. want to get into it? Oh, good. So we are talking all about the Mission Impossible movies before Dead Reckoning Part 1 comes out uh, this week. And partly what we did last time with uh, Mission, or not Mission Impossible, with uh, Indiana Jones. Although we have to get through six movies, and they're all good, basically, more relatively good, uh, compared to Indiana Jones, where it's two great ones and one pretty good one and another absolutely dog shit one. Um, so it's going to be a little bit trickier for us to stay on track. We'll be moving a little bit quicker and uh, also want to recap what There's... happened in the last movies, if you don't yeah, remember. We'll, we'll try to do quick recaps. If you try to break down all six of these movies in a two to three hour time frame like you and I typically try to do mm -hmm. there's no way um <laughs> there's just no way yeah it'd be two three hours <laughs> yeah. per movie um but we'll do our best folks we're gonna do our best oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, one other thing i was watching oh. this week is the original mission impossible oh, interesting. Show because i was like i put it on just to see because uh, it's been a really long yeah. time since I watched it. I haven't seen it since I was a kid. And it's to the point, I don't know that anybody really re even remembers that there was a Mission Impossible show in I the think 60s only our that this is based on. would remember the show at this point. And maybe <laughs> goofballs like you and I, who... <laughs> yeah. Which is a funny thing to... Uh, to think about, because it's like this movie franchise has become mm -hmm. so huge that it has basically redefined the what mission impossible is it's not uh it's, it's completely transformed itself into just being tom cruise and being the movies and it, even though the show has so many of the same elements it has that fire oh, theme yeah. song it has uh, the rubber masks it has the impossible mission force it has the the your mission if you choose to accept it self-destructing uh recording stuff so it's very very good but i think on the on the level of on the number of times that hollywood has tried to reboot yeah. an old tv show into a movie mission impossible has far and away just exceeded oh, all expectations and it's not like uh a team or i spy you know what Get smart. I still say I'm in the minority. Twenty one jump Street movie was fun as fuck. Like normally, I I will judge movies yeah. for just how stupid they get or whatever. But the A Team was like <laughs> the Expendables in a way where it was just it's mm -hmm. supposed to be ridiculous. It's supposed to be just entertaining. Yeah, we're gonna fly yeah. a tank into a lake. It's okay. It's funny as shit. <laughs> I wish that Man from Uncle yeah, took too. off like this, me but maybe, maybe I someday. think you brought that up. That's a good good thing to bring up. I feel like Mission Impossible might be the only one that has been this 
successful. You could mm-hmm. argue that uh, the 21 Jump Street movies, the two that they did, counts, and yeah. it totally does. Uh, but they never aimed to make mm-hmm. the full-fledged franchise out of that. Like, two and they were done, yeah. and they were good. Uh, yeah. Intentionally yeah. cut it off. Yeah. Everything else, though, yeah. I Spy, I think, if I remember right, that was even a flop from the get-go. A-Team was a flop from the get-go. Probably. But Mission Impossible... I think a lot of it has to do with Tom Cruise. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. even though he's a psycho yeah. in real life, people are like, but he <laughs> makes entertaining movies. So we're going to go watch this. And yeah. we've been watching Ethan Hunt since like 1996. So, or 95. So you kind of mm-hmm. were invested. It is crazy to me to right. think that we are going into the seventh film. And you could almost argue that it is just getting bigger as they're concluding it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. It's definitely not like running out of gas no. by any means. It is just getting bigger and better and better. <laughs> so over the last like three movies, it's been just like, right. They, they just shot this thing off and it's so huge now. Um, I personally would be all right for like, number 10 or whatever but i know that's not coming because they're Mm -hmm. this is concluding they're finally like all right (laughs) you know cruise is still down for doing all of his own also tom cruise is tom cruise is (laughs) but he's an older man and he's starting (laughs) to get injured a lot on set so they're like dude (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's time yeah you are the most important part of the production (laughs) not only are you the star and the producer and very expensive expensive. he works Uh, with all the stunts and stuff keep doing all this um but it's great it's almost more shocking so the first one came out huge successful it was fun it pissed off a lot of like our parents generation because of some of the decisions they put in into it the difference from the show john phelps being the primary one um and then the second one came out everyone saw it but then it gets just blasted it's constantly considered like the worst in the franchise um yeah you would almost have expected after that second one they'd be like "Ooh, okay maybe we don't have it (laughs) but they Mm -hmm. keep coming out and people keep flocking to it because everyone's like no these are actually really cool (laughs) like they're good stories they're cool stories you get interesting situations yeah. and the stunts just keep getting crazier. <laughs> yeah. It does feel to me like the series kind of rebooted itself yeah. in the middle at number three and, and it kind of saved it in a way that it feels like there was forever between two and three, but it was only like six years. That's still a decent and amount of time. It definitely re. It is for sure, especially for a big franchise, but it does feel like it, it rebooted itself and found its mm-hmm. identity and then just started building on that to back to where it was now, <laughs> where it is now. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy franchise. It's one of my all time favorites. I've been stoked for this one. I remember when you text me like, hey, how would you like mm-hmm. to talk Mission Impossible like? There are several suggestions. I'm like, oh yeah, that'll be a good one. Like, let's do that. I'm excited for that one. When you said this one, I was like, 
on my feet. I was with my kid at the time. I was like, you're doing Mission Impossible. And she was like, oh, God, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. I'm glad I can invoke that in you. That's exciting. Yeah, it's it's such an exciting franchise. It's the franchise that people will go to even if they have no idea what the story is because they just know they know that Tom Cruise will take care of them. I think that's one thing is that he's built up such loyalty in the fans, especially after mm -hmm. Top Gun Maverick, that I think people are going to flock to the theaters even though Indiana Jones is out and Oppenheimer's out and Barbie is out. I think that the, Dead Reckoning is going to be a very yep. safe movie that people know Tom Cruise will take care of them. They'll have an incredible time. Even if they don't remember the story really of Fallout, they're just going to go for the stunts. And that's and all they'll they leave really the theater feeling like that's what a movie Fully is satisfied. supposed to be. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, I think the decision, the timing of what it being released this year is very interesting because it might be the least divisive film coming out this summer like you got yeah. you know indiana jones is out but that one's going to be very like split because people are going to love it or people are going to hate it uh simply because it's yeah. just it's been around for 40 years so you're going to have that split right oppenheimer probably i hate saying this out loud but <laughs> it's supposed to be a devastating film it's not there to make you feel yeah. good. It's there to help you understand a very important piece of history. It's going to mm -hmm. be intense. People are not going to want to flock to the theater to feel devastated and horrified. Right. <laughs> it's very, it's going to be an incredible movie, but it's going to yes. be a very serious movie. And for sure. Barbie is going to split people because it looks ridiculous. And. Mm hmm. Some people are probably just not going to go want to see it just because it just looks so dumb. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And there's going to be a lot of hangups of like, it's, it's Barbie. Barbie. It's for yeah. kids like, or it's for girls or whatever. And uh, I think that, I think that it'll be fun and silly, but I do think that it will be a lot of people that are like, it's Barbie. <laughs> right. I'm not going to go see a Barbie movie. <laughs> but then here comes Tom Cruise. And he's like, if you can't make up your mind of what movie you're going to go see, we're going to mm -hmm. do some crazy shit. You want to watch that for two and a half hours? Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> yes. I want to see crazy shit, please. Like, I'm not going to be devastated or heartbroken at the end. No. Done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, especially being a two-part yeah. finale. I think that it'll end on a cliffhanger, but nothing too terrible will happen I, so far. So it's I kind of feel, safe. although they've been hinting at, I mean, <laughs> Rogue Nation and Fallout definitely start mm -hmm. up in the ante even more of the stakes are so high. And Ethan Hunt's story yeah. is really like, it's about to, you know. <laughs> <laughs> And he's just collecting people <laughs> right, he cares about, like, which is not helpful. He's trying to save everyone. And I'm like, man, someone important might die. That's going to suck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as long as it's not Luther, Dude. I'm okay. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know who's safe. I really don't know. 
it's weird yeah. to think that because they've never really hinted that like or they've never done that where someone important's getting right. taken out except for the first movie <laughs> but they're like mm-hmm. look at this huge cast all dead in the first 15 minutes <laughs> <laughs> right ish um but the, but they've yeah, never really like well they, they've kind of hinted or like played with your emotions on a couple but i feel like the fact that it's getting ready to conclude mm-hmm. this is dead reckoning part one going into part two i could see them being like all right let's let's do one just devastating moment we've never had a real one yeah uh let's do it and then ethan's motivation is just going to be so through the roof for part two uh, yeah, for sure. But we'll get there. I completely could see that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So let's you want to start, start at, the at the beginning. beginning. Okay. So in 1996, Mission Impossible comes out, directed by Brian De Palma. And I love this movie. And even even though it is definitely dated in its 90s-ness, it's also, I mean, it's accurately present mm-hmm. in this 90s-ness because you have a lot of very period-accurate technology, computers, internet, double, like dial-up internet, floppy disks, things like that. It's, it feels just like a great spy mm-hmm. thriller with, with all of the, the, the glasses and with oh, the cameras yeah. in them and all that stuff. So it's so fun. And and the original IMF team is great, headed up headed up by Jim Phelps. Jim Phelps? Jim Jim. Phelps. I I Who's was wrong. It's Jim. It's it Jim. <laughs> okay, it is Jim Phelps, and uh, John played Boyd. by uh, John Voight. That was the mix up. <laughs> and Ethan's just a normal dude. He's a, essentially the like kind of the top agent yeah. of his team, kind of a hot shot. Kind of seems like. Um, but then he's, he has all of the other people on the team, Jim's wife, Claire, uh, the mighty duck man himself, Emilio Estevez uncredited by the way, which I don't know why exactly that happened, but, uh, Jack, Emilio Estevez's Jack is one of my favorites. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) His, his death in the elevator is one of the most rememberable it's brutal for that half second that you see it it's just one of those that lives in your Mm -hmm. brain (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. so uh so the premise of the first movie is or i guess the plot the things you need to remember going into the new one and i think there are a few things that will definitely tie one of them's in Um, the trailer that one of them's in the trailer that kittredge back uh the director of the IMF, which is the Impossible Mission Force, which is the silliest name for an organization ever, Um, but also very interesting. It's one of the most interesting aspects to my mind is that they're not actually a government agency. They are a private espionage company that is uh, often contracted by uh, the US government, but they're international, they're private, and they just yeah. are spies for hire basically and uh 
So the, the IMF team need to go to the US Embassy, get a knock list, which is the not official cover list, which is a list of all of the actual IMF people and their real life names, their aliases and their names. It's split into two parts for some reason. And, uh, and the real, the aliases or the secret code name names has already been stolen and they're trying to prevent the bad guys from stealing the real name side of the list, which feels like the only side of the list you really need. Cause you already know that they're agents. Well, you would need agents. both just to I have don't know the, why you need their... the correct matchups to it. <laughs> I mean, if you have a list of IMF agents with their real names and home addresses or whatever, I feel like that's kind of a giveaway, but maybe that's just me. Uh, so they need to prevent that from happening. They go into the embassy. They, they try to get the list. They mm -hmm. fail to prevent them from getting the list. So the guy escapes. Everybody starts dying. The entire team ends up getting wiped out. And, uh, and so Ethan is on his own, mm -hmm. basically. But not only is he on his own, you find out officially that the whole mission was a, a decoy for a very separate kind of mission going on behind scenes. Uh, it was yeah. a mole hunt where Ethan is the only one that survived. So he's accused of being the mole who has. Right. Presumed. Yeah. He's, to be the, mole. he's the one who set up killing the whole team steal the real list and get out of there uh, or the steal the list and mm -hmm. then get out of there to sell to the black market. So Ethan goes on his, right. his solo mission of proving his innocence by actually stealing the real list from CIA headquarters, <laughs> which I love. <laughs> right. I feel like the CIA mission is definitely the, the, even still the most memorable part of the entire <laughs> it's series. so good. Like even across all six movies, him yep. rappelling into that white room and trying to Well, you touch can't the touch floor the floor. You can't make any trying... noise. And, yeah. Speak yeah, of a whisper. And the temperature has to stay at like 79 degrees. Yeah. If it rises one degree, his body heats all yeah. in there, sweating and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Throws it all off. It's so exciting. <laughs> For like a silent scene there's no music that all you have are just the sounds of him being like lowered repelled you get the cables kind of shimmying around a little bit as he does his acrobat acrobatic stuff um yeah but it's so cool to watch but okay everyone who knows me knows i love that first mission impossible it's like one of my all-time favorite it's so <laughs> fucking good like I've always appreciated it the most because it's the one that doesn't rely on crazy action sequences to drive the story. Nothing against all the rest, yeah. but it was the first one. It's a more grounded yeah, spy Yeah, it movie. feels more espionage, more actual spy work um, with like spurts mm -hmm. of, of excitement. Uh, and it just, it, it feels different than the rest of the series. I've always kind yeah. of felt like as much as I love every one of these movies, because I genuinely do, they're all so good. I've always been like, why didn't we get Brian De Palma to come back at some point? Mm. 
because his vision is so interesting, unique. And I think his vision is what helped yeah. the success of that first Mission Impossible movie. I think that would have been really oh, cool for sure. thing for him to come back for like the third or the fourth one. Nothing against J.J. Abrams mm-hmm. or Brad Bird. Um, yeah. Yeah. But that would have made sense to me just to to give some people, give your fans like a little bit of like comfort, if you will, considering John Woo's directing style is very Michael Bay-ish. And so that's what the second Mission <laughs> Impossible has always been faulted for is like the car yeah. literally hit a curb and it exploded. Like, and what's with the stupid fucking <laughs> yeah. doves? And what's <laughs> <laughs> every goddamn scene has doves in it. <laughs> but I like Brian De Palma's vision for that first movie and it the way that they tell the story, the music behind it. You know, I had the soundtrack on my top ten scores. It just everything fuels that yeah. story to where you are constantly like you're always a step behind Ethan or 20 steps behind Ethan, but you feel like you're right there mm-hmm. with him the whole time until you start realizing how yeah. far ahead in the game he has been throughout the whole story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's one of the things I love about it is how Brian DePalmo kind of shows you just yeah. enough for you to feel like you understand what just <laughs> happened, but also not really have any idea what just happened. And so you, if you feel a lot like Ethan, where you're like, I saw that, I saw this guy get killed. I saw blood yeah. all over his hands. I saw all these things happen, but, but did I really see that? Or did it just want me to see it kind of thing? And so as Ethan starts piecing it together, it's one of the, I think it's the most like cleverly written mm-hmm. movies because as Ethan's trying to like figure these things out, whether he's talking to Kittredge or, when Phelps comes back and he starts talking to him, he starts describing, oh, when you did that, and then, then that means that this happened. But what he's talking about to Phelps is kind of leading Phelps on. And what he is really thinking is actually figuring out, oh, Phelps is actually <laughs> right. the mole <laughs> the whole time. And so he's like, he's piecing it together but it doesn't fit with what he's actually saying. And so it's, if you're not paying attention and I think it's easy yeah, to get lost in that. When, uh, when I sat my daughter down to watch this series, that scene confused her. Cause she was like, mm-hmm. wait, I thought Kittredge was the guy from the beginning, the, the CIA, you know, the agent hunting him. And I was like, he is, they're yeah. showing you, he knows the truth, but he's saying the lie to you know yeah keep placating the villain she was like oh my god i was like they're literally showing you like they're telling you it's one of those rare Mm -hmm. moments where you actually get to see like the psyche of a character almost or like their thought process which is something you don't get a lot in a movie like so blatantly yeah not this well and and it's done well it's one of those little gimmicks that probably would not work very often in a movie because people would be like, Oh my Mm -hmm. God. I mean, it's not a book. (laughs) like, (laughs) Right. But it works for mission impossible because of how it, the pacing of it and how you are also trying to piece together all these little puzzle pieces. You know, it's, I love that Mm -hmm. scene. That's one of my favorite parts of that movie is him and Phelps sitting across yeah. or yeah, him and Jim sitting across from each other. And he's like, Kittredge could have done it this way. Oh, wait, he would have had time 
if he did this and, mm-hmm. and then he had an accomplice and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so well done. And, and as, so Claire doesn't die, right. Jim's wife, she comes back, she, her and Ethan have like kind of a flirty There's thing a... happen. This is a thing that happens in all the movies. Ethan Hunt flirts or romances someone in every movie. It seems like he's basically James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> he's got gadgets and all this stuff. These are like James Bond movies, but just completely separate. It's true. <laughs> Way more stunts <laughs> than James Bond ever did. And so, but you, he doesn't know for mm-hmm. sure if she's like knows her husband's alive or if has her husband betrayed her and all this stuff. So he's trying to figure it out. Um, he's also trying to figure out. So they try to sell the knock list to Max. Max is some broker who is trying to buy it or who has been promised it by some guy named Job, and. Ethan doesn't know who Job is, but he decides to impersonate Job to right. broker the sale, well, basically, because he's like, "I can get the knock, I can get the real knock list for you and sell it to you." His them. whole mission is <clears throat> draw out the real mole and prove his innocence, and he's like, "The only way mm-hmm. I can actually do this is, yeah, I'm going to steal the real thing, I'm going to sell it, or under the guise of actually selling it, it'll draw yeah. out Job, who he like." Figures out pretty quick. Job is the mole. Job is the alias. Like yeah. at first, Kittredge tells him we got this. Like we intercepted this email from someone called Job three fourteen, and you're like, Job mm-hmm. three. What a weird thing. He's like, he's looking at the Bible. He's like, Job, Job three fourteen. What cracks me up watching the first Mission Impossible these days is it shows <laughs> like the first online trolling. I think. <laughs> I think you're right. He just starts spamming the hell out of Max's emails, all of potential contacts yeah. to her, quoting scripture. <laughs> yeah. In like all these different languages. He's like Max at French.com. <laughs> yeah, right. just, like, just blasts it all over the place. And if eventually it works, he makes contact. I love Max. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's, she's great. She's like not at all what you'd expect as like an older lady who's an yeah. arms dealer and 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 brokering all these sales and stuff. Uh, she's not what you expect at all, but she's also like kind of flirty with. She's very Ethan, playful, which is funny. Which I always, yeah. And she, in my mind, I've always kind of tried to picture what all is Max like. What has she done? to get to her position Mm -hmm. every time I think I'm like, she's probably very playful with everybody. And she's probably, you never see it, but she's probably crazy violent. Like I could see her being that kind of villain (laughs) that just, if she has to be the one to pull the trigger, she doesn't care. She'll just pull the trigger. Like to me behind all the other stuff that we see, just Mm -hmm. considering her goons. I'm like, yeah, yeah, she probably kills her goons herself. Like I would imagine <laughs> had the CIA not been on the train at the end, I would have imagined that she'd be yeah. killing off <laughs> at least the long haired goon. Like yeah, for <laughs> her- <sure>. herself. <laughs> 
I, uh, Max is one of the original things that has come yeah. back recently, which I didn't really pay attention to until I was rewatching the movies. But in Fallout, the Vanessa Kirby's character, uh, Alana Mitsopoulos, also the White Widow, she's called the White Widow. She's Max's daughter. And so there, she's also like a broker. She's of very Max so kind of esque. She's very, she's a t- yeah, so much like Max. Yeah, when I saw Fallout in the theater, and they finally like re mentioned Max, I remember being in the theater eating my popcorn and doing that like yes, <laughs> like that's a good <laughs> member berry moment. That's a good like yeah, it's a fan, fan service, service reference. The franchise doesn't rely on all the member berries. Have you noticed that you just rewatch? I mean, we've been watching them. They throw in a bunch yeah. of like quick little like references or a comment here or there, but it never mm-hmm. relies on it. And it's never crazy blatant. It's, right. it's very, you know, and I appreciate that because with franchises this long, typically they get very like nostalgic. This mm-hmm. one is almost like, I mean, if we do it, we do it. No, one's really gonna, yeah yeah it's not a nostalgic franchise it's more of a hold on to your seat because you're just trying to make it through this one right like we just got to get to the ending where everything goes that does that mission impossible quiet (laughs) like where the chaos Mm. is finally done and it's just (sighs) and everything is okay because they stopped the bomb because you've got to get to that but it it gets intense at times uh yeah at the first movie's no exception he's not trying to stop a bomb mm-hmm. but as ridiculous as it, it kind of is that whole train sequence is a freaking blast yeah. oh it's intense <laughs> and not just the climbing right. on the outside of this bullet train helicopter being attached to it and <laughs> flying into a tunnel as it's being drug sequence. That is incredible. And one of the best, I think mission impossible is one of the first movies to kind of blend yeah. CG with action and actually be believable. It holds up. It looks really, really good. Um, but all of the the stuff on the train with max as she's trying to like get this transfer to happen. Her laptop's not connecting all this stuff. Kittredge is on the train. He's trying to figure out his where Max is, all this stuff. All of the IMF is disavowed. So Ethan's there. Luther is there with his laptop. Well, trying he's jamming to the be signal. Luther. <laughs> yeah. But also not get caught by Kittredge <laughs> as he's looking around all the cars. And then Phelps and Claire are both there. Ethan tricks her into uh, admitting that she knows about it and she's a bad guy as well using the rubber mask. So huge thing is in mission impossible is the rubber mask always comes up, uh, in this first one, no exception, but so that Ethan and is in the cars with that, with them and, and Phelps is there trying to actually get the, the bags of money or bear bonds or whatever it is that they're getting paid with. And so all of this stuff inside the train is just so exciting as well. And then they get outside the train and it, it just, just kicks off even more. to a whole new level. <clears throat> yeah, when we watched, when I got my daughter to watch it, the whole movie, she was just like, 
dad, I feel confused. This is weird. Like, this is crazy to me. I was like, just trust me. It, like it mm-hmm. pays off. I'll explain. Like, I'll answer your questions. It pays off though. I, I promise. She's like watching it. And, uh, while we were watching, the first time you see, uh, Phelps's wife show back up, she's like, no, yeah. Ethan, I survived. I survived. My daughter immediately was like, don't trust her. She's obviously the bad guy. <laughs> I was like, no, yeah. you don't know that smart, kid. I was smart like, girl. he can't trust anyone right now. So you just got to like, you got to see what they're going to do. The whole rest of the movie, mm-hmm. every time Claire's on screen, my daughter would be like, she's the bad guy. Dad, she has to be the bad guy. <laughs> and I'm like, just watch the fucking yeah. movie, man. <laughs> So when it's con- <laughs> only only dudes would not want to like no you give her the <laughs> right. benefit of the doubt like you know <laughs> when it's finally confirmed she's a bad guy I remember my daughter just being like I told you <laughs> <laughs> I was so happy but when they climb up onto the train you know the big action sequences here my daughter couldn't help but laugh just because trying to fight in that kind of wind. She was like, the coat is flying over him. This just looks so goofy, Dad. Like, are they really going to (laughs) fight? It's a different kind of fight, but yes, they're going to fight. And there's a helicopter involved. And she was like, oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) That whole sequence, she was just like, she was, you know, on the edge of the couch. She's watching it. She's like trying to laugh at some of the, like, watching the tie go flying past Jim. And he looks up like, oh Mm -hmm. crap. My kid loved that. Mm-hmm. But you know those moments. We experienced it as a kid. I know I definitely did. Because I became obsessed with this movie. Was. Yeah. The more you're watching that ending. You're so invested into it. Into Ethan just accomplishing this. You're like how is he going to. You know he's on the side mm-hmm. of the train. Trying to get his finger up before the passing train comes by him. And. uh mm-hmm. There's so many moments in it where you're like, oh, oh, God. Oh, like you were so invested into it. (laughs) But the part that got me, it got my kid was when Ethan finally gets like his footing and he leaps onto the helicopter Mm -hmm. and it goes straight into the theme song. I don't know about Mm -hmm. you, Jake, but when I was a kid and saw that the first time (laughs) I was on my feet when my daughter watched it, she was on her feet of just like, yes, (laughs) like, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like So exciting for such a a goofy moment, but the music during that whole thing is so cool. And I will always love the, uh, the red light and green light. I'm not going to lie. I'm 35. I will be 36 this summer. When I chew gum, if yeah. I ever fold it in half, I constantly in my head go, red light, green light. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. Ever since I first saw the movie as a kid, that was my favorite part. Whether it was the fish tank scene where he meets Kittredge or at the end where he sticks it on the <laughs> yeah. helicopter. Uh, absolutely. The gum is it's essential. So it's Mission Impossible to me. Impossible <laughs> lasagna. Don't get any on you. Uh, <laughs> don't yeah. chew this. Yeah, so good. When the like, but then you think, okay, we got the triumphant music. We're good. The explosion happens. It blows them back onto the train. Which mm-hmm. 
looks so cool. It's such an incredible scene, especially in the pantheon of incredible Mission Impossible scenes where he jumps from the helicopter to the train that is driving away from him. And he the blast blow gives him yeah, enough, enough him propulsion to the actually train, like, well, onto the train. Yeah, make it make the jump. It looks so cool. It's so exciting. But then you're like, you're not done yet, because all of a sudden he's got this flaming ball still attached to the train from the cable and the train is mm-hmm. stopping like my daughter was watching yeah. she was like what dad is he gonna die i was like there's six <laughs> movies he's not gonna die she's like dad is he gonna <laughs> die <laughs> but that shot of the blade being that close to his throat whew, yeah it's still one of those where you're yeah, just like as oh, it's just like oh that's uncomfortable <laughs> It's very it's effective. effective. Well shot. But that's like <laughs> the way that first movie is set up. I just, I love every part of it. Every added layer to it is so exciting. And I, I always feel mm-hmm. like I don't think I've ever let myself believe that I have caught every plot point in the first movie. I always mm-hmm. feel like there's got it. There's something else there. Like there's more giveaways or something throughout it and i could be wrong yeah but for a movie to still be giving me that kind of feeling every time i watch it where i'm like i still feel like i missed something here i feel like that's a a strength in that film because it keeps you constantly Mm -hmm. like on your toes when you watch it i never feel like i can do other stuff when i put that first mission impossible in. i feel like no it (laughs) It, it garners my full attention here. Like I need to. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've done like reading to make sure that I feel like I know what the official yeah. story is, but there's a lot of uncertainty in the way that Ethan's trying to figure it out. He's not totally confident on some of the details. So particularly the part where he feels like, um, Krug Krieger played yeah. by Jean Renault is the guy who like stabbed some of his teammates and was involved since the beginning. That part feels like why, why would Krieger, a guy that they recruited from the IMF disavowed list online with Luther, they recruit two guys. One of them is the guy who also betrayed his team and worked with Phelps and all this stuff. Maybe it's a short list of people that are on the disavowed list who are free this week, but that part feels a little bit convenient, but I always chalk it up to he doesn't really know. He's like, well, maybe somebody like Krieger who's willing. I to feel work like for that's always been a thing where that. like Claire was the one that brought Krieger in. Like that was yeah. her call. She could have definitely directed so him into that because she knows that she always needs makes sense help. to me, especially when Ethan is figuring stuff out and he has that like you see his thought process of, oh, I think that was Krieger holding mm-hmm. that knife, like because I. I've seen the knife. I held the knife. He recognized yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, it would make sense because he's also figuring out, like, I think Claire is actually part of this. So it would make yeah. sense that. Yeah. It could have led him to Claire in the, in the sense that she pushed yeah. so hard for him to not get Krieger if he didn't really want him. And L- Luther is just, Luther's the dude. Every time. Luther's the MVP. He's the original gangster. Of he the is. Group. He really is. He is the lone. OG, like no one else has made it. Yeah, it's him and Ethan. That's it. 
I love that. I love that Ving Rhames, this giant presence, is a computer yeah. hacker. Like he's so against type, <laughs> but he's like this famous hacker tech guy who just wants all of like all this cool technology. Yeah, and yeah he's like, I can be over. in the field. I can fire a gun if I have to, but just I'm the guy in the van. Just leave me in the van. Mm -hmm. That's all I want to do. That's all I'm here for. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, he's awesome. I love him. Yeah, that first mission impossible, yeah. man. It's every time. It's just so exciting. It's so unique. If you go on like an action movie marathon, yeah, you can do ninety style, eighties, or combo, whatever. No matter what combination of action movies you pick, that first Mission Impossible is going to be the one that sticks out because it's so different. Yeah, it, it doesn't feel like a nineties mm -hmm. action movie. Yeah, it's nineties. I mean, it's ninety six, and it's right for the time. Yeah. Everything's based for that time, and I think the franchise has really used that to their advantage. Of like, no, we'll make every film is present at the time that it comes out it's mm -hmm. not we're jumping way back in time or we're jumping way ahead in time it's right. we're present it's constantly present and i think that yeah. adds more strength to, and it, it helps to understand like ethan has been chasing bad guys and saving the world for yeah. so many years we're going on like 30 years he's a veteran <laughs> he's yeah, he's a, he's been in the field forever. Even when he tried to get out of the field, he was out of the field. He was a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he still ended up yeah. back in. <laughs> just when I think I'm out, they sucked suck me back, me back in. in. <laughs> I just uh so Mission Impossible oh, two yeah. then. <laughs> you said John Woo's movies are very Michael Bay they esque. They are, uh especially this one i feel like mission impossible 2 is the most it doesn't help that it's also a very early 2000s yeah. movie everything about the style of it is early 2000s which i think accentuates the <laughs> yes. john woo-ness it's not like old 70s john woo with chow young fat it's 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 a lot of his trademarks the doves the slow-mo the diving sideways shooting gun stuff but which worked in face-off it works great in face off. Yeah. <laughs> I will defend that. And it looks it, it does. looks cool in some scenes in MI2. Like the diving sideways is fine. That's cool. The excessive yeah. dove use gets a little like, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> it does. When he's on the island and it's like the third or fourth dove scene, I'm like, I right. get it. I do it once and then it'll right. be enough. But three or four times is too much stuff. But what gets me every time I watch it, and it even even my daughter noticed it, like not everything that happens to a vehicle while it's driving, even at excessive speed, mm -hmm. warrants like that explosion. Excessive explosions. <laughs> yeah. At, the, at least in the final motorcycle joust towards each other, there is a spliced in shot zoomed in on that. There's a bullet hole and there's gas leaking out. So even though you're going to question how these dudes jumped off, how the bikes that were going straight also end up in the air and crash into each other. Don't worry about that. Just realize there's, there's, there's gas a bullet hole with gas leaking out. Leaking out so obviously it makes perfect. It's going to ignite instantly. Um, yeah. Yeah, the editing on that part 
just that part is yeah. off. It feels very it's like very hard cut. And then they're driving at each other, and then they ju- don't jump up, run into each other, then start traveling sideways onto the beach as the gun flies out of his pocket and lands in the sand, and they and like, then the fall into the beach. Nui all over. <laughs> oh, we're jumping yeah. way ahead. Maybe the explosions of the bikes propel them like the the <laughs> helicopter right. in the tunnel scene. Maybe that's know. what happened. I'm not a I, physicist, so I don't know. You know, I don't. But one way you can. Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say one way you can tell the director of Face Off made this movie is it definitely has the most ever rubber mask reveals yeah. of any of the movies. <laughs> <laughs> And the bad guy uses the rubber masks almost more than no, he Ethan does Hunt does. Use the mask more often than Ethan Hunt does in this one. He okay. does. There you go. He really does. <laughs> Granted, he's he's an ex IMF agent uh, who's a bit of a hothead. To... He's a loose cannon. Yeah, he Ethan wasn't available because he was on holiday, and so they send this other dude who decides to just steal Chimera, which is a super virus and it's antidote well he yeah. tries to steal the super virus can't because the phys- the virusologist guy injected himself with this but he did steal the antidote uh which is called bellerophon it doesn't matter it never comes back really bellerophon bellerophon <laughs> and um. so the whole movie is about this super virus i do really like the scene where uh, the the scientist sees the kids playing Ring Around the mm-hmm. Rosie. It's like a fun little Black Plague, Black it, Death yeah, reference. Yeah, if you know if what you Ring Around the Rosie sort of actually thing. is, you're like, why do we let kids sing this with smiles on it's their faces? Super it's dark, so dark and terrifying. I don't yeah. hate MI2. I know it gets a lot of flack. I make fun of it as well because it, it kind of deserves some of it. <laughs> but I've never hated it. Mm-hmm. I've always thought like, yeah, it's the weakest of the whole series, but there's there's some cool stuff in it. It's definitely yeah. like it's entertaining. Um, right. I think what actually hurts it the most. I know we just ripped into all the like excessive <laughs> explosions and doves um, and excessive use of face masks, actually. <laughs> but what kills it is the amount of slow-mo it drags um, so bad there are scenes that do not need slow-mo that is a huge for like, sure fact as particularly the non-action scenes like particularly the the dance, the dance scene where he meets is the, ridiculous the girl. that whole sequence like, like it just goes on and on and on and you're like come on this doesn't feel like it's propelling the story at all yeah it's supposed to be like romantic or something but the romance is probably my biggest complaint of the movie (laughs) in that ethan is supposed to meet this girl seduces her and has sex with her and then by the next morning they're in love immediately and that whole thing is wild she's an ex lover of the villain and so they convince her to go back undercover with him but it seems so forced mm-hmm. that they're in love with each other. And so Ethan cares about her and needs to protect her. I, I get the reason for it in the story, but it's just too quick. I'm with you. Yeah. I don't. The romance it. has always felt 
I feel like the romance was a studio decision. It yeah. came out in 2000. Uh, yeah. I feel like there was probably a whole slew of rom-coms coming out at that time. So everyone was like, <laughs> if you don't have a love interest, your movie's not going to do it. You have to have love. Yeah. And we need it to be sexy because it's <laughs> right. It's either going to be. <laughs> and it's Tom Cruise. with long hair. <laughs> Yeah. It's either going to be high school love <laughs> or you got to like romanticize the shit out of this with like awkward adult. Love. Yeah. Love. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the romance in this one is it gets in the way and it gets in the way too mm-hmm. quick. The whole. The whole scene where he's like chasing her in the car. You're like, oh, this is funny. He's already like got up to her, but then it keeps going, and then they start trying to crash yeah. each other, and then they do that mm-hmm. slow mo where they're like, sl- you know, spinning around, and then they have that. It's like yeah. a dance, and then they There's, have that like depending on the dance lustful floor. look in their eyes. <laughs> they almost died, but they're like super oh, right. turned like, on by it. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even my daughter was like, Dad, what? It's like, I promise you, the action shows up eventually. Just bear with it. It's just like, okay. (laughs) There was my kid during the whole, like, that first little bit. And I like Tandy Newton. She's a good actress. I think she does well in the movie. But it was funny to me watching this with my daughter. Because the whole scene where she's, like, stealing the jewels from the guy. And he's kind of testing her. And they have that weird, like, flirty, playful, whatever between the, the whole scene my daughter was like does her boobs have to be out like this dad and i was like i'm sorry i can't control the film she's like putting the jewels in her cleavage and my daughter is just like women don't do that dad i'm like ah. in movies, <laughs> in movies they, they do. do this is common <laughs> but yeah. it was funny because my daughter place. was like I don't like this movie, Dad. And nothing had happened yet. And I was like, I promise. (laughs) I could see that just based on the style because it's such a 2000 style movie. The the lighting, the the editing, the sequences, the like credits, everything is just so 2000. (laughs) Very. And and it's one of those like early 2000 movies that when I saw it as a kid, it was awesome. Mm-hmm. And Ethan climbing with the, those Oakleys was awesome. But just over time, I've just cooled off on it so much. I don't hate it either, but it is definitely way oh, weaker so than weird. the other ones. I will say. Mostly for the romance and the plot holes. Like the opening like is still really cool. Him climbing like that. It was the first time yeah. where it was like stunt work in a Mission Impossible movie was like you saw him rappel in the room. That was cool. Mm-hmm. Watch him climb this like mountain or the structure with yeah. no wires. And then they real. were like, Oh no, he actually did this without wires. Yeah. And that MI two, if anything still garners your respect as a fan of the franchise, because it mm-hmm. really kicked off the whole Tom Cruise stunt work in a mission impossible film. Like it really did. Yeah. He does his own driving did the climb mm-hmm. uh, and it's stuff that he he parachutes out of that bio and, yeah like this is stuff that and... he just started escalating he does a lot of the same kind of stunt but everything's always on a bigger scale all of a sudden i've always liked the yeah. opening i like him climbing it it looks cool uh that mm-hmm. slow-mo works where he makes that leap 
across that works yeah, that's cool sure. <laughs> i've never i like the story of mi2 i like the idea of like hey we got to try and stop this this black market sale of this mm-hmm. virus that could wipe out everyone we have to get the we got to destroy it and we got to make sure we have any kind of traces like mm-hmm. I like that idea. I like that. Yeah, and the the villain's willingness to let this infected woman just wander around Australia in populated areas to get a bunch of other people sick, start an epidemic so that they can sell the they become st- shareholders in the in the cure, company yeah, so that they can sell the sell the cure. That is very interesting and very evil. Yeah. So high stakes. Which it is has very it has really good parts. It has really good ideas. I think the villain is really good to a point. I think he's mm-hmm. way too emotional though, during certain points because you know he yeah. yeah he lets this infected woman wander in Sydney with the idea of like we're going to infect a large population so that they have to it's supply and demand. I have the cure. Yeah. They need it from me. So I can charge whatever I want. We're going to be rich and we'll have mm-hmm. shares in this company. I'm going to own this company essentially. Um, that's yeah. cold hearted. But then he's like weeping because my ex-girlfriend doesn't love me anymore. Like, <laughs> uh. yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, he literally weeps. He has super cold moments. and You're like, Ooh, He's evil, like he's a good val bad guy, and then he's like crying over a girl, and I'm like, I get crying over a girl, but dude, yeah, yeah. At some Pick point, one. you're supposed to be a bad <laughs> right. guy whose entire life is about <laughs> yeah. you know destroying the world or whatever. Uh, it does it does expand the mask usage by adding the yep. voice strips on your neck where you can actually like locally imitate anybody in the world so that kind of builds on the last move yeah i feel like and it's always cool when you see like <laughs> the familiar tech being used but now they've got like the upgrades because the franchise is yeah. all about being present so as our tech in real in the real world is really expanding they're gonna expand their tech in the film mm-hmm. which i i really like i think it's fun um yeah yeah it's <laughs> some of the action's really cool uh, mm-hmm. MI2 is just such a weird entry. <laughs> it is an kind of an out of place entry. It's needed to watch the whole yeah. series, and it's you don't skip it like or like some other franchises where you're like, you don't really need to watch <laughs> that one. Um, so it's not that bad, but it's definitely way it, out. Of it place. just doesn't feel. I mean, you get some cool. The fight on the beach is pretty cool. You get that close up shot of the the tip of the knife playing with his eyelashes, which that's a real shot. They had to rig up this whole like uh, system where he would drop full force and it was supposed to just stop. Mm. And so that's, that's That's a real knife. That's his eye. That's like, those are Tom Cruise's eyelashes (laughs) being prickled around with the tip of that knife. That's a lot of trust in that team making that. Absolutely. (laughs) My daughter was I could not do it. off her rocker during that. <laughs> she was like <laughs> queasy. She couldn't look at the screen. That fight mm-hmm. is cool. I really like that fist fight at the end, like mm-hmm. where they're just beating the hell out of each other. You get some cool like 
mixed martial arts style fighting, which you get to see more of Ethan yeah. Hunt. Like, oh, this guy has like his capabilities are we're only ever seeing glimpses. Like, and right. they continue that throughout the situation dependent. Yeah, yeah, uh, and it, it it works for so long. But you know what part of it that I'm like, I just, I just can't, can't. do this one. And I can't do right. it because when I saw it as a kid, I remember thinking like, how cool was that? Is it kicking uh, the sand and seeing the gun yes. fly And up? I remember trying yes. so hard to kick an object. <laughs> you went out in your, went in your backyard and threw your gun in the ground. Well, it wasn't, obviously it wasn't it. a gun. I mean, like squirt guns, but like <laughs> any object where you kick it the way he does it to pop yeah. it up into the air high enough where you're going to catch it, be able to fall in one smooth motion. Right. And I remember as a kid being like, I get some things require a lot of practice. (laughs) But every time I would go to kick it, it would just like get kicked. (laughs) Like, right. Like something's not adding up here. And now I watch it and I'm like bitter because as a kid. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, they had like compressed. They had had a lot of stuff for that. that. But I'm like, it's it's in exact contrast with like when I watched Rush Hour as a kid and I could like practice and get pretty close to the things that Jackie Chan would do in one take. It would take me a hundred times to do it, but I could try yeah. to get it. Uh, you, it's, it's impossible. impossible. You're not going to kick a lot of the things here. Like he does. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, I like the conclusion, like the fight for the most part is pretty cool, except for the gun being kicked up. <laughs> I like how their quiet moment during that scene is, you know, they've, they've got, I don't even remember her name in the movie. (laughs) Danny Danny Newton's character, you know, they've rescued her because she was going to commit suicide. And like, we skipped over the whole movie, but that's okay. You you miss a lot. Really? MI2 is important to the character of Ethan Hunt because anything, the romance he has with Tandy Newton's character, it just goes to show that despite being this agent, where agents are supposed to be cut off from emotion. Like nothing can ever be personal. Ethan Hunt makes mm-hmm. every mission personal. His team is always right. his number one priority. He's going to save his team. So MI2 is important mm-hmm. in that aspect. Yeah. It's as important to him to save one person as it is for him to yeah. save the whole world. Yeah. Basically. And that I think that's an endearing characteristic that they build upon as the franchise moves yeah. forward and he's constantly told like you can't be doing this and he's like this is how it is deal with it and he makes it work um right i think what's really yeah they're like you just need to make sacrifices he's like do <laughs> right. i though do i really need to what if i did what i really appreciate is starting with uh rogue nation and moving on into fallout and i'm sure it'll just keep expanding even more and reckoning one and two is the consequences mm-hmm. of everything is coming back. He's made good decisions, yeah. you know, and or he's made the decisions to protect his team and protect those that he cares about. But now it's like starting to mm-hmm. bite him in the ass as the movies move forward. Um, yeah, that's a lot of what Fallout yeah. is. <laughs> but MIT, I mean, it, it ends okay. It ends, it ends awkwardly because they try to end it with like this... <laughs> long 
Yeah, he found the love of his life, and they're going to live happily yeah. ever after. Like, <laughs> cut to he is engaged <laughs> to another girl. <laughs> Never to mention Australia again. And, no, and it's like, not at all. They completely <laughs> wasted the use of Anthony Hopkins as the head of the IMF. Like, yeah. what a waste! What a <laughs> huge waste. waste. Uh, yeah, I always forget he's in it, and then he comes up. I'm like, "Hey, Anthony Hopkins is in this movie <laughs> for like three scenes, and that's it." Um, yeah, I remember when MI3 was coming out because it was what'd you say six years after MI2? Yeah, 2006. And I was like, I was excited for it because I got more Mission Impossible. <laughs> but I remember a lot of people being kind of like, "I mean, do we need one?" And it was like, "No." <laughs> But this could be fun. Right. This could be really mm -hmm. fun. Yeah. It, I would say it's not at all a franchise at this point. Right. It's a really good movie, an okay movie that I think has lost a lot of steam over time. And people are like, another Mission Impossible movie? The, what else is there <laughs> right. to do? Like, this is kind of the vein of the A Team, I Spy. All of these movies are like, okay, we tried it, it didn't really <laughs> yeah. work. And just let it die. Kind now, of thing. I hear over the over the years, I've heard a lot of people when they talk about this franchise, they dog on MI3. They're like, MI3 sucked, what? it failed, whatever. And I'm like, I distinctly remember no way, that theater being fucking packed. And I saw it a couple times in the yeah. theater, and it was packed the couple times that I saw it. But I'm like, MI3? is that's a solid third film in my opinion is it perfect i think no. it's beyond solid i think it's it like i said before i basically rebooted yeah. the franchise i take it like that too where and, like this feels like all of a sudden they took what we knew in the first one they kind mm -hmm. of were like we'll build on the characteristics of ethan hunt and luther and this one like from mi2 but yeah but that was a step in the wrong direction. We're going to give you something high stakes mm -hmm. and we're going to show you something that's yeah. like intense from the get go. You're not going to yeah. have a kind of much more grounded and gritty yeah. and oh, very gritty. I think it's builds on like the, the Batman begins yeah. from 2005 thing. <laughs> um, also Casino Royale came out in 2006. There's kind of this gritty reboot thing happening in this time yeah. frame. I think they did the same thing with Mission Impossible without changing the lead. <laughs> right. <laughs> They're like <laughs> we're continuing Ethan's job of saving the world constantly. Yeah. I the third one is so good to me. Like it's hard for me to rank this franchise. I I honestly don't know if I can like fairly. <laughs> Yeah. All I know is like the first one is my favorite just because it, it's that movie just clicked and connected so well. But three, four, yeah. five, and six are like they're all on par for me. I love all mm -hmm. of them so much, but that third one, that one's exciting. And I remember Oh, super exciting. My, my daughter and I were about to watch it because we we binged the whole franchise. Mm-hmm. I remember getting ready to start it and I told her like this one this one's intense. <laughs> yeah. And she was like, "What do you mean? The opening to the MI3 is so mm -hmm. brutal 
And it's so like, <laughs> it's kind of difficult to watch. I remember the first time watching this movie and being like, holy shit. Like, yeah. Yeah. Dropping you at the climax <laughs> of the movie from the very beginning as he's having the conversation with the villain about trying to save his wife. You're like, oh my God. <laughs> right. Nice. Like, you don't get to breathe. You don't get to be like, oh, no. what a fun opening. You're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and then you watch the rest of the movie with the dread of building up to that moment. Because you know it's coming. Knowing, knowing all of the backstory that led to yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's so intense. It's so intense. I love how quiet, like there's no music in that opening scene. It's just him mm. trying to plead for like his wife's life. And they're, you know, where's the rabbit's foot? Where's the rabbit? Like, mm -hmm. I, I've got it. Like he's trying every trick in the book frantically <laughs> and it's failing. And let's just yeah. note when it comes to like, I can't believe rewatching this franchise, Jake. I was like, I think, I think I fucked up. <laughs> for our, our top villains okay. list i was like how did yeah. i not have any of the mission Impossible villains because yeah starting from especially the Owen Davian. to the to fallout i'm like these villains are top yeah. notch top tier for sure <laughs> uh, yeah i think owen davian is is among the best um for it's sure frightening. i i he's so frightening <laughs> he, he's like he's one of those epic villains that could span multiple movies he's just so intimidating, <laughs> so and, terrifying. intimidating. and he's refuses to be intimidated by ethan just the way that he gets interrogated by him doesn't give up anything he's like you know what that was really rude and i'm really upset with you <laughs> right. for doing that to me <laughs> and now i'm going to uh kill you and your wife and there's <laughs> nothing you can do to stop me He's so cold so, and like he's the kind of villain. Final. And my daughter immediately was like, I don't like this guy. I don't know if I can watch this movie. You know, they do the like the countdown and then you get the Mission Impossible where it's the fuse being lit and stuff. Yeah. And my daughter looked at me and she was like, I don't know if I'm going to watch this one, Dad. I was like, <laughs> it pays off. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I do feel like it is is pretty abrupt from the last oh, yeah. movie to just jump into this movie and be like, okay, that was fun. This is super serious now, and uh, you need to get on board really fucking But quick. I kind of appreciate that. Uh, oh, I love I think it. it was necessary. I really do, because, yeah, mm -hmm. the second one ends on such a weird, like, romantic, like, oh, off into the sunset of Australia. And... Uh, mm -hmm happy-go-lucky to just completely like no ethan's life is not happy-go-lucky like <laughs> here's some yeah i don't want to say reality <laughs> dose but like there it is <laughs> it's like yeah yeah i i know i complained about the romance in the second one ethan is the most grounded like the most settled down yeah in this one where he has a fiance and he's like in love, he's out of the field. And I think that it works because the movie kind of drops you in the middle of it. You don't, it's not like he met her yesterday and they fell in love. Like he did in number two, they probably, well, you, know, you get the idea. Long that, oh, it's a real there's relationship. There's a lot of hints yeah. of just how long so to the point it. where like, 
he's apparently kind of had to help her younger brother through some like shady shit, get him out of some trouble. You know, he's like, eh, I don't mm-hmm. really like your brother hanging around too much. And it's like long <laughs> enough to be a part of, excuse me, the full fledged family. Like, yeah. They are established. They live together. It's years after the second one. You can tell like Ethan has kind of, he thinks he has figured out how to balance the two. Yeah. Right. Right. And he's kept his wife in the dark to his life in the, in the yeah. field that he doesn't know is a secret agent. Um, and I, 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 sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say, I like seeing the, the other sides of the IMF in this mm-hmm. one where Billy Crudup's character, um, Brink kind of meets up with him at that, uh, gas station and kind of talks to him about, Hey, this, remember this field agent that you trained in, at the academy or whatever, whatever the IMF has, if they have an academy, uh, remember her, she's gone missing. We need you to come into the field and, uh, he's been out of the field for so long. And so you, you start to see that you get to see Lawrence Fishburne's director of the IMF yeah. and their offices and how they kind of engage with Washington. I find that stuff very interesting. Well, they start, yeah, they, they show you more <laughs> of the like political side of the agency that it's not all the field sides. You're getting two perspectives in the third one. And that's really the first time. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, you kind of do in the first one just from Kittredge and how he tries to explain stuff, but yeah, this is the first one where you're getting like the technical side of it not just the cool gadgets and stuff which the gadgets are awesome uh Mm -hmm. but i i love the the office stuff i think lawrence fishburne was a fantastic i kind of wish he would have stuck around longer but alec baldwin does me too he's good i'll give baldwin that credit he fit Mm -hmm. pretty well but fishburne was like don't fuck with me (laughs) like don't piss me off (laughs) and you believed him yeah when he's mad he's like calling people out you're like yeah i would not want to be at that table when he's like (laughs) oh you said you have evidence of this i would like to see that on my desk like now go get it yeah yesterday (laughs) (laughs) yeah they try to get you to believe that he might be the mole of the IMF, but I never really, I think, I never it. bought I it, but I, I never believed that you were supposed to buy into it completely because you're already yeah. trying to figure out so much with that third movie uh, and bringing up the mm-hmm. idea of like an insider again is that's your member, Barry, to the first one again. Like, oh man, another mole quit, like shit. Yeah. <laughs> and then Ethan gets blamed again and you're like, oh, god (laughs) (laughs) yeah i I mean you kind of do i guess because you don't really know Mm -hmm. him and billy crudup's character seems like ethan's friend and he's been his friend for a long time so you don't really suspect him either so you suspect lawrence fishburne more i guess as brassel you know what else i i really like on the third one and, and it's reminiscent to the first movie of you get to see Ethan Hunt fail. Mm-hmm. Like you, you see the yes. mission completely <laughs> shit the bed. I think that's important yeah. to see sometimes. I think it's important for Hunt to constantly like it keeps him, I guess, grounded or 
always understanding that he's good at what he does. And when he succeeds, mm-hmm. it's amazing. But when he fails and he can fail, like I think that always keeps his confidence yeah. at a healthy place. Cause he's never cocky in yeah. any of the movies. Right. Yeah. If you win a hundred percent of the time, you're going to get cocky and, and it's good for him to realize the stakes of it, whether it's something that will destroy everybody on the planet or just one person he cares yeah. about to fail is for sure. I think, uh, and how he responds to that failure most specifically, uh, that's very important. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I I really like I like everything that Kerry Russell is in, and this being a J.J. Abrams movie, it's kind of funny that uh, she's also <laughs> right. Felicity. That Felicity shows up, <laughs> <laughs> and so you get to see Felicity be a badass with a gun for a little bit. But she does have a device implanted in her brain by the villain, and they are about to try to shock her with defibrillators to short circuit the explosive, but the fucking defibrillator takes 25 seconds to charge. And I'm like, are you kidding me with this life-saving device that's supposed to be used in an emergency? And it's just not charging. Yeah, it's like, please stand by. It will be 25 seconds until you can save this person you're trying to save. It's amazing how like when you don't pay any attention to time, it goes by like that. Mm-hmm. But when you're like yeah. under the gun or when waiting on death. it, you're like, this is the longest amount of time that could ever <laughs> pass by. Yeah. And not only is she, you know, about to die from this explosive in her head, but they're being chased in a helicopter through a windmill farm. It's, it's terribly exciting. It's I insane. love that. And all of this happens. And you don't, ex- you, ex- you expect them to yeah. save her. Like, of course, they're going to save her. And so when she does that thing and her eyes go different directions, you're like, oh, shit. (laughs) Yeah, like executed. And I mean, it's not a gory fashion, but it's so brutal. No, it's effective. effective. Uh, Yeah. And the way that Hunt responds to it, I like that how they splice like him being a a teacher, like he's training her how to do hand to hand combat and I appreciated that. I didn't think the flashbacks were like too much. Um, I also really Mm -hmm. like that. They didn't really, at least to me, I could be wrong, but to me, they didn't lean into like a potential romance between him and the student. I I kind of, I've heard some people like complain about that or they bring that up and I'm like, I don't, I don't see the romance. I, I really take it as, yeah, he's just a mentor and she just happened to be that student that, Mm -hmm he was able to teach the best to maybe, you know, she was the first one essentially. Yeah. Or very promising yeah. or whatever. Um, and for a, him to lose his student during mm-hmm. a mission that like should have been achievable, they almost achieved it. They got the asset out. Yeah. Uh, right. There's just, there's a lot to hunt in the third movie and it. I love how he like, I, I love his drive. <laughs> afterwards mm-hmm. he's sad he's heartbroken yeah. but he's kind of like well now all st- like <laughs> <laughs> also pissed now off now nothing's gonna hold me back even if i'm strapped to a gurney with a face mask and i'm handcuffed to the fucking bed like nothing's stopping me from yeah. figuring all of this out yeah. which he still never figures yeah, that's all of a it great out, which i also really like that's a great character quality, I think, in all of the movies. This is just ability to never give yeah. up, 
even when they're the missile's gone off or whatever, like they're past the point of no return and there's no way they can possibly win. He's like, but maybe they're <laughs> right. Cause that's the name of their agency. Out. It's the impossible mission. Yeah. It's when it's, <laughs> yeah, we wouldn't have a job. If it was <laughs> right, right. It's supposed to be impossible. But I like that when you start learning about like the rabbit's foot, I, mm-hmm. I know it probably drove a lot of people crazy. I love <laughs> that. They never tell you what the weapon actually yeah. is. It's the most MacGuffin-y MacGuffin in all of the <laughs> <Yeah>. movies <laughs> because it is just a thing they need to get for the bad guy or the bad guy needs to get and he gets Ethan to get it for <laughs> right. him. It, it, we don't really know if it poses a threat or not other than the fact that Philip Seymour Harman, Hoffman plays the most terrifying <laughs> villain. So you don't really care. You do feel like whatever it is, it's bad because this man is yeah, very, right. Very like, you just... You kind of have to accept, like, this could potentially be world-ending in the long run. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it has to be, like, it can't be let out. You have to get this thing. I, yeah. Um, as mcguffin as it is, it still works for the story of MI3. Yeah. It is very much like how the agents in the field are. You have this mission. You need to get this thing. It's above your pay grade to even really care <laughs> right. about anything else. Like you don't need to know what it is. Just stop it. Yeah, I. The sauce of the one where we get like a new team. We get introduced to some new team members, and Luther comes back. Every time Luther reappears, and you're we, like, "Yes." <laughs> yeah, and we get Benji we get for the Benji, first time. Who's like Benji's an great. office dork. He doesn't go out in the field. He's <laughs> yeah. stuck inside. He's still very like preliminary. I think that's so much fun mm-hmm. to watch him go from this like geeky little dude in the IMF. And now he's a full fledged mm-hmm. field agent who still doesn't get in too much trouble. Like he gets in trouble, but he's always yeah. still kind of I'll fire the gun if I have to. But <laughs> yeah, you go first more Nathan. than Luther. You even. go first. <laughs> I do really like, I think they do a good job of figuring out Benji's role throughout all the movies because technically or skill wise, there's a lot of overlap with Luther. (laughs) And so if you were like trying to pick a team, you wouldn't be like, okay, I need the two computer dorks to always be on my team. And then I'll do all the hard (laughs) stuff because I'm Tom Cruise. (laughs) But they find a way to make it not feel like, their pigeonhole mm-hmm. or whatever it's like we have luther he'll do whatever he needs to do basically and benji he'll do whatever he needs to do and we'll add some fresh faces every other every, every movie, movie anyway yeah but benji yeah. i love the character of benji i think he's fun he's always like like clearly he's intelligent clearly he's skilled mm-hmm. but he's always kind of have he always has a, a certain kind of innocence to him which i think is like it makes him entertaining yeah, he's like the comedic yeah. relief almost, but it's never yeah. overboard. Right. Like he, he's just sarcastic or he'll point it's in a out dry something British way like, anyway. I can't believe we're doing this or like a matter of fact kind of thing. <laughs> and he always wants to be the one to wear the yeah, kind of like the audience's he's the audience's voice of reason. <laughs> like, are we really doing this yeah. right now? <laughs> um Yeah, I, I love when uh it's so crazy when like Cruz get or Ethan Hunt gets accused again 
and he's like actually captured him being captured that whole chase when he's like mm-hmm. running and the CIA and IMF are like hunting him down him getting shocked yeah. when he's on top of the truck like that yeah. looks painful man it looks painful every time I watch it <laughs> <laughs> yeah all there's a lot of really good sequences the whole vatican sequence oh yeah where they need to abduct davian at, for, at first and and use the rubber mask on him and all that stuff uh that was all really really good and then yeah the bridge sequence where they're trying to Dude, get the him bridge out is nuts <laughs> and then he gets uh davian gets recaptured by the bad guys uh is is so intense as well well, the third one kind of introduces you to a style of like <laughs> villain that you see really common. I, I think this leads or really adds to your uh, the third one is kind of like the uh, a soft reboot or here's what we always mm-hmm. meant for this franchise to be. Mm-hmm. Because of the like that style of villain who is going to pull the trigger. They don't care. Mm-hmm. They're going to destroy it like nothing is sacred to them other than how much they're going to make by selling the certain kind of weapon or like having control onto the world itself. But we, we get to the syndicate a couple movies from now. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think the most lasting effect of the third one is Ethan's love for Julia his fiance who he marries before he goes on the mission and then who gets she gets you know tangled up in all of the stuff when Davian kidnaps her and then she ends up having to save Ethan so she kind of is part of the world the life uh briefly yeah but then yeah but then uh, Ethan needs to Dude. also get her out of it so she to save her the whole her. sequence on the airplane <laughs> To me, that is like, yeah. this was one of those scenes, Jake, re-watching these, that I was really thinking to myself, like, I think I fucked up. Because the whole, that <laughs> whole scene, when he's got him, like, outside the airplane, he's cutting the straps, trying to get him. Yeah. And, you know, Luther, everyone's freaking out. When he pulls him back up and everything kind of settles back down, and Davian's kind of like, he says Ethan. When he says his name. Yeah. It's so like ominous and it's so just, oh. Yeah. And the fact that all he needed to know was your first name and now your entire life is. <laughs> right. Up. And like everyone knows it. <laughs> everyone knows. Yeah. A mistake has just been made. We gave him too much. Yeah. He's so cold and calculated. Ugh. See what <laughs> the villain in MI3 is long lasting. But I will always absolutely love, and I get excited every time I watch it and it comes up, the pendulum mm-hmm. swing when he has to go and steal the rabbit's foot. Yeah. Fuck, I love that scene so much. I think of it as the baseball scene because they're yeah. launching the baseballs at the roof <laughs> to distract those guards. When my daughter watched this, I was like, okay, so he wasn't actually on this building, but they set, you know, the set. I think the set was like 50 feet or something like that. I was like, he, he did jump and he did like get propelled. <laughs> and my daughter's watching it when they do that over the head shot of him. And you're looking down mm-hmm. into the city. My daughter was just like, Oh, I don't feel good. <laughs> it's like, you should have seen it in the <laughs> <Yeah>. theater. 
Yeah, that's I love that stunt. Too. I love like it's intent. You know he's gonna make it, but it's still intense, especially when he's sliding backwards, like shooting yeah. the guys and getting closer to the edge. You know he's not gonna fall off, but at the same time, you're just like, don't you gotta stop sliding? You gotta <laughs> stop sliding? You gotta stop sliding? Like, <laughs> don't die! Right. Don't die! Don't die! Don't die! <laughs> I that third one I think is. I can't believe all the negative stuff that I've heard about because it, it, it is very, it's intense. It's high stakes. Mm-hmm. It has some very fun moments. Watching Tom Cruise run through the city at the end yeah. is like, Shanghai. it's exhausting. Yeah. Him running from rooftop to rooftop to rooftop back onto like the bridges and the sidewalks through the crowds. Mm-hmm. I used to run for fun. Ugh. <laughs> I can't imagine. Not, <laughs> not a dead sprint for that long and that's what he does it's like he just yeah sprint it's like a continuous take for the <laughs> entire time too i just think that third one offered so much and i remember mm-hmm. more people enjoying it and i every time i hear someone complain about it i'm always like i don't i don't understand the complaint to it because yeah I that really. movie is it's great pretty good and it holds, it holds up. up. And let's face it, even though it's super quick and not drawn out, which I really appreciate actually, but when Hunt <laughs> finally kills the dude, yeah. it's satisfying. You don't need to watch him suffer. Yeah, you just want him gone. Car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a relief for sure. <laughs> you get a nice breather. You get that happy ending where they finally tell you, like, I work for the IMF. It stands for Impossible Mission. Mm-hmm. And even... Even Julia's like, that's a ridiculous name. <laughs> like, yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> yeah, nobody actually works for the Impossible Mission Force. That's silly. It just it holds up to me, and it <laughs> the ending of the third one, you know, where they're walking down the hallway and they're like saying goodbye or whatever. Had mm. they decided to conclude it there, that would have felt like a that's a good conclusion. Yeah. But it always still felt like he's probably got something coming up. <laughs> he's got more up his and sleeve. And we do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, which is the first one with a subtitle mm-hmm. and the fourth movie in the franchise. Uh, it just it's, keeps kicking things up a notch, I think, from now on. Well, and this was another one. I remember uh, when they announced it and I remember people being like a fourth mission impossible. How many of these do we need? <laughs> like, Oh my God. And it was like, mm-hmm. what year did ghost protocol come out? It's like 20 2011. I was going to say 12. Yeah. But cruises. Yeah, so five years after the last Yeah, one. Cruises uh, height of insanity, especially revolving around Scientology. Like, there were several years where yeah. that was all very high. All people. Peaked. Yeah. It's all that people thought of when they looked at Yeah. Him. So him coming back for a fourth mission impossible, people rolling their eyes just in general at a fourth installment of a franchise. Cause typically mm-hmm. you're going to roll your eyes at a fourth installment <laughs> on top of all the controversy that surrounded him or surrounds, mm-hmm. I should say, or no, mm-hmm. it doesn't seem as bad anymore. Anyways, no, I think it's died off a lot. Um, 
I think it was a gutsy thing. I think it was also a safe call on his part to be like, people know me in this franchise. They're comfortable with this franchise. Yeah. I think it's a safe bet. And for as many people that rolled their eyes at it, I think the first time we all saw the trailers for it and then actually Mm -hmm. went to the movie immediately (laughs) were like any kind of prejudgment that I may have had is gone. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's extremely true. I think even if there was like a PR meeting about, okay, Tom, your image is a little bit shaky. People kind of feel like you're a little bit weird. He's like, okay, but look at this footage of me climbing this building in Dubai. And they're like, oh my God, that's awesome. There's a whole movie like this. I want to see it immediately. (laughs) He's like, yes, but there's more. (laughs) Yes. Just wait, there is more. No, I think that's exactly what happened. He's like, people will forget and forgive immediately when they see all of the insane shots in the trailer. And immediately people did. People are like, he's insane Mm -hmm. in the real world, but man. Mission Impossible. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All you need to do is release one behind the scenes promo of him actually climbing that building. And people are like, I need to see this. There's no way he does it. Shit. He's doing it. Shit. (laughs) Yeah. It's insane. Ghost Protocol is a cool movie. I I really like Ghost Protocol. It is definitely a cool movie. Um, it, It is different than the other ones as well. I feel like they all feel a little different. Brian Bird directed this one. So I think having a different director for most of them also is probably a big reason for that. Uh, the, the gist, the premise is that Ethan's in prison now, randomly. Yeah. He's in a Russian prison and needs to be broken out by Benji, who's in the field for the first time. And then also a new person, Jane Carter. Uh, she and her partner, Josh, Hall- Josh Holloway, who's Sawyer from Lost, they were trying to stop some dude and he got assassinated by a assassin, as one often does in this line of work. And she stole uh, some codes that they were trying to achieve, uh, some launch codes. And so now she's going to sell them for diamonds because she sells everything for diamonds. That's like her thing. <laughs> And so they need to, Ethan's in a prison in Russia. They need to break him out. The whole prison break sequence is all very good and entertaining. So you're you're into it immediately. Yeah. The movie opens with, you know, the the chase. It's very fast. It's Mm -hmm. very abrupt. I remember for us Lost fans being like, Josh Holloway is going to be a Mission Impossible. This is awesome. He doesn't even make it like 10 minutes into the movie and he gets killed. And we're like, okay. All right. (laughs) (laughs) RFE. But But you still like, it's an abrupt opening Mm -hmm. with kind of like a bad outcome. You understand there's our setup. Yeah. The prison break scene is fun. Yeah. It's very enjoyable. It's very like, it's action packed. It's the fight. It's Tom Cruise. Mm -hmm. I mean, He's back with the long hair, so people are like, oh, yeah, Tom Cruise with long hair. Yeah, yeah we're doing every other movie at this point. <laughs> right. <laughs> and Ethan is 
is being broken out of prison, but also still very much in control because he's not following the normal path. He's like, I will leave when I'm getting ready. I need to go get this other guy and we're going to break right. him out I kind of made us. a deal with this dude. We're, we're doing this together. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but when they get in the tunnels or the sewers or whatever, when he like turn around and he winks at the audience and he says, light the fuse. <laughs> and then you get the whole intro theme. <laughs> that's very fun. And how the fuse just kind of like goes yeah. along throughout the whole credits. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah. Miss it. The fourth one, I remember immediately being like, ooh, this feels like a, a good combination of like everything that we just seen in the previous three. Like mm -hmm. this could be a really interesting one. I was also excited that it was coming off of the heels with like um oh what I just lost the dude's name. He's the villain in the first John Wick movie, Jake. Um the the which villain? The main yeah. villain? Not the kid. No, his dad. I just from... lost that actor's name, but I have no idea what that. That actor was like kind of a big name all of a sudden because of the the Swedish films of the girl with the dragon tattoo trilogy. Okay, he played uh, the main character, and I remember Michael Nyquist, Mikhail Blomkist, right? Mikhail Mikhail Nyke Nyke Nyquist. Nyquist. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um. Sure. I remember being excited that he was in it because I I liked the Swedish girl with the dragon tattoo films. And it was mm -hmm. to me it was gonna be fun seeing him in an American film. Yeah. And uh him as a villain, he's a good villain. He's a different kind of villain, but he's a good mm -hmm. villain. And I love the to the whole the whole thing of um oh my god. God, my brain just fucking stopped. <laughs> I like I like when they're at the Kremlin Thank and you. he's doing his own thing yeah. where he has like his own mission that's happening in parallel with with the Impossible Mission Forces mission and they don't really notice until it's too late that this guy is stealing the stuff out of the Kremlin and then also planting a blom, a blom, blom. <laughs> not the only one struggling with worms. Yes. And blaming the IMF for its detonation or the U S and by proxy, basically. Right. Um, that whole Kremlin, I really like the Kremlin sequence. It's fun. It's intense, mm -hmm. but it's, it has some good humor utilized into that, like spy ness yeah. of the story. that, like, that like sheet that they yeah. put up to project the thing behind them so they can go down the hall without being seen. And then you get Benji's big dumb face <laughs> in the middle of it. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of good sequences <laughs> like that in there. Yeah. The fourth one, I think found it's the fourth one figured out the formula for the right amount of like comedic moments and dialogue mm -hmm. mixed into the intensity of the story itself. Yeah, and that is still very high stakes, very serious, but but we're also human beings right. who screw up, and sometimes it's funny. I think where the movie kind of like, you know, even with the Kremlin explosion, uh, where the movie mm -hmm. really kind of like brings you back down to understand there's some serious shit going down, like things are bad, is the whole idea behind the name of the movie of the Ghost Protocol of like, 
yeah. you're being blamed for it. Like once right. again. <laughs> yeah. So the United, the president of the United States has the ability to invoke ghost protocol, which means that he has disbanded and disavowed the entire IMF, mm -hmm. which is crazy to think that a president has like a thing that he can do to completely dissolve this entire private company if he needs well, to. Well, by the time because the fourth movie has rolled around, it. I've always felt that the IMF has kind of like become a subset of the CIA. Like it's just, they work in tandem yeah. at this point. They're connected at this point. So I could see the yeah. president. I might just be trying to give an excuse for it, but let's face it. Yeah. It's politics, Jake. They'll do what they want. Fuckers. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And when you blow up the your biggest adversary's intelligence building which is also very historical and uh they're looking for i mean it's an act of war yeah. essentially if they think the u.s government did it so they need to shutter this thing immediately <laughs> and, and and disavow every agent involved yeah there's no pr that's going to help out at this point so it's just no you're the scapegoat no. you're going to be the one to take the blame <laughs> Um, yeah, so they they try to uh, try to disavow the entire IMF, which leaves Ethan and his team kind of out on an island. Mm. They don't have a home base. They don't have anything. But they know that this guy, Michael Nyquist's character, uh, stole a, like a launch system for nuclear weapons out of the Kremlin. And so they need to get it back, basically. Yeah, it's essentially to not only save the world that's the big like <laughs> why we got to do this but it's also mm -hmm. to clear their name like we got to prove yeah. we were not the ones behind all of this so we're going to continue this mission right. because it's just what we have to do there is no there's no choice i like that hunt mm -hmm. gives everyone the option like you can head out right now there's mm -hmm. no choice everyone understands that like no we're kind of stuck here like <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I either go home and watch TV, or I can contribute to saving the world and getting our names back right. on track. Well, and I, I've always figured yeah, like they wouldn't be able to go home to just relax and just call it a part of their history. They'd be hunted by the U.S. government right. essentially to make sure you're not doing mm -hmm. anything. And I, I really enjoy all of the sequences where the Russian detective guy mm -hmm. is following Ethan around and he finds him in the hospital and and uh and there's a lot of good comedic moments in that where Ethan's like trying to like jump out the <laughs> window and the guy's like okay when <laughs> right are you really are you are you really gonna do that or are you gonna come back inside it's really funny lights a cigarette on the window like no no you're good come on yeah take your time <laughs> But we're also introduced to uh, Agent Brandt, which is this is when Jeremy Renner joined yeah. the franchise. Uh, and he's kind of a mystery, as he's supposed to be. Um, mm -hmm. But never the kind of mystery where you take him as like a villainous character. At least I never took it that right. way. I just figured like, nah, he's just he's this guy that just kind of wrong place, wrong time when the yeah. secretary was assassinated. And now he's stuck with Ethan Hunt. <laughs> right. Yeah. You, you introduced to him as like a data analyst, but it becomes very clear, very quickly that he has a lot of skills 
that could only be honed in a field. He's right. kind of like has a lot of physical combat skills and Ethan Hunt type skills that uh, kind of means there's more to him than meets the eye. And then through the course of the movie, he starts dropping little details like, well, you know, I used to be in the field and I was responsible for watching this couple one time. And that couple ended up being Ethan Hunt and Julia <laughs> while they were like living their best life. And, yeah, it's, uh, she died. It's <sighs> when you're like, because you're wondering the whole time, Ethan's married. Where is Julia? He's been in a Russian right. prison. Where is the wife? And then yeah. Brant's story comes out and you find out like, well, she died. Yeah. They drop a little hint early in the movie where I think Luther or somebody's like, yeah, it didn't work yeah. out or something. Um, and then, yeah. And then Brant's story, you're like, no, she died and I was supposed to save her. And I don't know. I don't think Ethan knows. And I don't know how to tell him that I'm now Which suddenly I, on his team and I let his wife die. I definitely like that. That's a sad scene to me. And you feel, at least to yeah. me, like you feel that kind of uh, conflict in, in Brant of like, how do I even face this guy? Mm -hmm. How do I even like. Jeremy Renner does a great job. He really does. Renner was a good fit for this franchise. Um, mm -hmm. Kind of wish he would have come back, but you know, Marvel's <laughs> paycheck was a little bit larger. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's always time. There is. There <laughs> is. Um yeah, I, I love the like all the little setups that Ethan Hunt has to do with they have some equipment, but it's nowhere near the amount that he's used to having on hand. They've got kind of mm -hmm. a a shoddy mask maker, which getting to watch how the masks actually get made in the field would be cool, yeah. except that it like shorts out <laughs> if and works. doesn't work uh <laughs> yeah it is a cool thing that gives you the idea mm -hmm. you're like i don't know how you can possibly make these things that are super realistic and lifelike that quickly and to see one kind of work you're like oh okay i get it like it makes sense um i do i do enjoy all of the technology not working yeah. i think that i think this movie mm, could or it starts to lean way hard on the technology with the the gloves mm -hmm. that stick to the outside of the building and stuff but i enjoy that those fail and he has to do it with his bare hands for real that's awesome um the like magnetic levitation suit yeah. that brant wears and, and that benji drives there's some good comedic moments in that but it's also like super techie and then uh the car they drive in India has like, uh, like a heads up display and it's super like electric and super futuristic and stuff. Uh, it feels like the most, here's the, all these cool tech tech things that we have, uh, which the other movies don't really have that as much. It's a super small gripe of mine, <laughs> but I definitely notice it. it stands out as like kind of awkward. Well, at least you appreciate that most of the tech they use ends up backfiring on them. And the gloves yeah. are oh, I love definitely that. the most memorable because I remember being in that theater watching that movie mm -hmm. the first time. And when he goes out and he's climbing the window, you know, the side of the building, mm -hmm. you in the audience, you're like, I'm in a safe place. I'm inside of an enclosed building. <laughs> like, I'm yeah. Uh, you don't feel at ease watching him go climb in this building. <laughs> 
And then no. the gloves start slipping on him, and you're like, this sucks. This is so bad. Yeah. This dude is literally climbing glass, the <laughs> slickest thing possible with nothing to hold on to, and uh, and the gloves he's using to do it start failing. So it is a very – on the like the tallest building ever constructed <laughs> outside – and you've watched all these promos about how he's doing it for <laughs> right. real. And so it definitely makes your butt drop. Oh, out just a little body. bit. And then they're like, here comes uh, the first cherry on this little intense Sunday. He gets to the window that he's trying to get to. It won't break. So mm-hmm. he has to do that, like, jump off of the glass, hit it with his feet. And you're like... Mm-hmm. Oh, you gotta stop doing. That. <laughs> yeah, every time he jumps away from the building, you just feel the tension <laughs> build more and more. Gets inside, they do their thing. His climb back, well, the climb <laughs> when he like jumps out of the window because now he's on mm-hmm. the time clock. <laughs> I love the line. Love this line. It's one of the best pieces of sarcasm. I think in the whole franchise when he's like is running down the building and his, mm-hmm. what does he use? Like the fire hose or whatever. It's yeah. too short. And Brent's like, your line's too short. Like, no shit. <laughs> <laughs> Very helpful. Brent. Glad you joined the team. But it's so like in any kind of, obviously not that exact situation, but like any kind of frustrating moment, yeah. When someone points out something obvious, everyone unanimously mm-hmm. is going to respond with that. Like, no <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah. And it's just nice to yeah. see in a movie. It's just a funny moment. <laughs> oh, it feels very human. And, for and sure. then they're like, here's the second cherry. He's going to propel himself again. Kind of like the, mm-hmm. the pendulum thing, right? Yeah. Yep. And then let go and bounce off of the fucking windowsill. <laughs> yeah, just free ball flying through the air, hoping he lands through the window. Yeah, it's an incredible sequence. I think Ghost Protocol, the entire movie is desi- defined by the Dubai sequence, yeah. from the climbing on the outside of the tallest building in the world to the meeting of meeting the assassin with the diamonds on two different levels and and the mask thing not working either so they need to hope that they haven't met before well, and then they get caught which is very exciting like they're discovered because brant keeps blinking mm-hmm. i mean he's doing what he's supposed to yeah but it gives him away yeah he's taking these photos with these contacts yeah so it's like eyes. the whole dubai situation just ghost protocol is a constant like Shit, the mission failed. Shit, we just messed this mm-hmm. part up. Oh crap, she kicked the assassin out the window. Son of a bitch. Yeah. And I love how it I love how it builds on itself as well, where they're setting up the initial server room mm-hmm. climb and they're like, Oh, there's a giant sandstorm coming. And they're like, No, it's way off, it's not gonna be a problem. And then 30 minutes later, <laughs> after they've had the meeting and it didn't go well, and they need to go on this big car chase, foot chase. They're like, oh, yeah, remember that <laughs> yeah. sandstorm? It's here now. <laughs> and we're going to have and a so high speed the car in- chase through it. <laughs> there's a most incredible car chase where they can't see anything and they're chase tracking each other through a track with this tracking device. And yeah, that car chase is incredible. It's on foot at times. And, uh, 
I, Ghost Protocol is the only movie where the good guys don't wear rubber mask. The yeah, villain, the villain does, does but once. the good guys never get an the, opportunity to because the equipment fails on them. Yeah, so that's weird. It's also Luther's not on their mission with them mm-hmm. at, at all. He just makes an appearance at the very end of the movie, uh, which is kind of like a cameo, basically. Yeah. Uh, so that those things are kind of like the one that makes this one the most different, I feel like. Yeah, it has a lot of differences, but on the grand scheme, it fits. Like it, it makes sense the yeah. story, uh, and it definitely uh, purposefully leads into the next movie, which actually sets up like mm-hmm. the rest of the franchise. But before <laughs> that, I mean, I love when this one leans into a cheesy moment. After an intense moment, <laughs> I love the fight. I think it has the cheesiest moment of any of the movies, honestly. <laughs> it's particularly the catchphrase at the end. <laughs> it's, it's amazing how it leans into it. <laughs> I mm. love the fight between the villain and Hunt in the car garage, and just the like. Oh, that like that's like a huge set piece where they have this like vending machine car yeah. garage, which. If you're an American, you've never seen one of those things in your life. And you're like, that's really interesting. But you mentioned before why the villain is so good. Um, I agree. I think that particularly for his like dedication to the cause where he they're having the whole fight and he's trying to stop Ethan from getting this case. And he's like, you know what? I'll just take the case and dive off this giant car park. Yeah face first and Ethan can't follow me. So I'll kill myself and uh, accomplish my mission. Basically <laughs> that is very like, Oh, I didn't expect <laughs> right, you to do like that. He's, he's <laughs> trying to turn himself into a kind of a martyr almost, or maybe not a martyr, but like his dedication is I'm willing to die for yeah. this. Uh, he definitely Absolutely, underestimates yeah. Ethan hunts like desperation when a mission is not yeah, going to like, plan. No, actually, I will follow you diving <laughs> off this thing. I'll just get into a car first and put a seatbelt on. And here you go. What do it? I like that it leans into the cheesy catchphrase, and I like that you're mm-hmm. supposed to laugh at it because you're finally taking a breather, right? Because yeah. he's like trying to get it. It's not, you know, everyone's all the pieces are not lining up as quick, which is a common thing for. The, for this franchise Mm -hmm. like oh my god just finish the mission (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's a weird like moment of hubris i guess that is is ethan's not normally the guy that's like hey guys we got Uh, it right when there's like 12 seconds left on the (laughs) clock but he's like mission accomplished at the end of this movie (laughs) and uh then the timer keeps going and you're like uh oh no <laughs> but then of course it stops with like a fraction of a right second. right and uh, of course it does. And, and i like that you're supposed to cut i think initially you like cringe and chuckle at it you're like i can't believe they put that in the movie and then the following mm-hmm. scene is luther being like <laughs> you actually said that <laughs> like making yeah. fun luther- of luther Luther sells it like for Luther to come back at the end of the movie, having not been in the entire thing. And he's like, you really said mission accomplished over the radio (laughs) as you tried to push the button. (laughs) That's just like a great 
longtime friend ribbing uh, that Ethan kind of needs at that moment. <laughs> yeah, I I love when uh, Luther ribs him for it, and they're all together. <laughs> yeah, and then as someone, you mentioned that you uh, you were watching some of the old series, so I remember when the second movie had come out. So after I saw the first one, my dad had told me about the show and like the mm. adventures and the, the primary bad guys and all that. Mm-hmm. And I remember taking the knowledge my dad told me and having watched a couple stuff uh, episodes on like TV land uh, and like trying yeah. to tell friends about like the backstory of the show, which to this day, you might be the only one that ever actually <laughs> gave a shit. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I find that stuff fascinating and interesting. And I remember constantly, like when the third movie came out, telling everyone, like, they got to bring the syndicate. Like at some point, the syndicate, mm-hmm. you, you know, when the third one ended, I was like, shit, we never got the syndicate, but it's a cool franchise. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah. When they're having their little like post we saved the world beers and Brant's trying to yeah. like, he's struggling, you know, everyone gets their missions. Mm-hmm. I, I love this moment between hunt and Brant where he's telling him, like, I knew you were the agent. Like there's a, all of them mm-hmm. actually been about this. Like, yeah. <laughs> and excuse me to see like Julia still alive mm-hmm. and just, this was how we had to do this. We had to come up with a way to protect her from everybody. And it wasn't going to work for me to still be an agent and be married that I had to choose a side, but also keep her safe. It's like, it's a sweet moment where you're kind of like, it's bittersweet because you're like, Oh, but he was like genuinely happy with Julia. Now he, he's not with her, but to see them like notice each other, it's a sweet moment. It just is. Yeah. You feel like she's going to look back and he's not going to be yeah. there. But then he is there and she sees him and they share that that moment. And he knows she's okay. And she knows that he's looking out for her. And it's really, really it, sweet. It's a cool moment. And and I think it, it's, I think that was important to not have him vanish. Yeah. I think that was important to have him still there. Because she brings it up when she pops up in uh, Fallout of like, Mm-hmm. I sleep at night knowing that you're always there. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I remember as ghost protocol concluded and he <laughs> puts his little headphone in to get his new mission and they mentioned the syndicate. I was, mm-hmm. Oh, I was so overjoyed. I was so happy. <laughs> I was like, I don't even know what to expect when the syndicate shows up. Mm-hmm. But I was like, they legit just confirmed. We've got number five coming. And for like fans of the old show, if anyone remembers the show, you're getting mm-hmm. your group. You're getting the villain. <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's something they have never done in this series. Right. And I, where they're like ending the, that movie on teasing the next mission. I feel like they could or should do that all the time. Cause <laughs> it's probably my, one of my favorite things is when this movie teases the next yeah. mission by him getting, getting the recording and actually being relevant to the next mission. I feel like that's the best. Yeah, it was, it's still a happy moment for me. I still, whenever I watch the the series, I'm like, Oh, here it comes. Here it comes. And then (laughs) we get rogue nation. 
And I don't know which villain I think is more cold hearted. It might be yeah. Davian or it might be Solomon Kane. Lane. Or yeah. Lane, yeah. <laughs> I just. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think that, especially for him getting a two part arc where you see him and he's in the glasses and he looks so scary and intimidating. And then in Fallout, he's got the beard and he's even more kind yeah. of, I don't know, terrifying and look cage dog <laughs> kind of thing. He is he is fantastic. I love Solomon Lane as a villain. And he's a great match because he's he is kind of the anti-IMF. Yep. Well, he's... Ethan Hunt is crazy intelligent with everything that he's had to like do. He's always on the, he's always reacting because usually his big yeah. plan is going to not go through as planned. Yeah. And it's part of your job when you're on defense. Yeah. I mean, his entire job is defending the world from threats. And so it's true. It's true. whatever happens, you have to react to it. And then Solomon Lane comes in and he's like smarter than mm. Ethan and Ethan's team. He's he knows more. He knows how the IMF operates. He knows they have this record store with this dead drop and recording and stuff and they intercept it. And that's like my favorite sequence that you don't expect at all. Yeah. Or Ethan just shows up to get his mission and talks to this nice girl and goes into a booth, has the coolest vinyl recording with which also projects like an image and is talking about there's this syndicate and we really need you to go after him but by the way we're the syndicate <laughs> right. and we know all about you're you like, <laughs> and you're like <laughs> <laughs> and then the self-destruction of the message actually is just like pumping gas into the sealed chamber and you're like is this the end for ethan hunt <laughs> it's so exciting well, you see lane you see it. he's watching yeah. ethan like pass out and it's so and they play the scene so well tom cruise does such <laughs> a great job of ethan hunt having like such an intense oh shit moment because he's never actually yeah. been in this situation before and you can tell yeah, it's kind of like you you were re too relaxed and you got caught slipping or yeah something. like you were, you were caught with your pants down which is weird because right. he was doing his job. He wasn't doing anything <laughs> right. out of the norm. It's supposed to be a safe place. And uh, yeah, to Rogue Nation is just <laughs> Lane cracks me up because he's such a evil, evil villain. Just how mm -hmm. calculated it is and how he controls his team. And then you meet um, Ilsa and yeah, she Rebecca Ferguson is one of my favorite oh, yeah. additions yeah in this oh, franchise mine too like even even though i know how her story like goes through fallout at least mm -hmm. we don't know what what's going to happen in reckoning one and two um mm -hmm. but when i watch rogue nation i'm still constantly like are you are you <laughs> i don't know yeah. like I do know, yeah, she's but I incredible. don't. <laughs> <laughs> and the way you're introduced to her, she's, she's, Ethan gets knocked out by that gas and he has to, he's wakes up in this tunnel and he's about to be interrogated. 
she's just randomly there and and there's all these bad guys and this guy named bone saw or something bone cutter bone whatever and uh and so ethan escapes and he's jacked so let's and all this stuff let's not (laughs) let's not just jump over two things with (laughs) ethan regarding rogue nation okay first off the movie kicks off with one of the craziest stunts ever oh shit yeah we skipped over the airplane i don't it's a great cold open it's an amazing cold open and it's one of those stunts that to this day is still just mind-boggling that they did this eight times by the way folks eight (laughs) times it's like uh it's like we had this idea for this stunt we couldn't write it into the story really so we'll just do it at the beginning of the yeah, movie it'll be a... and it won't really that's the whole thing is that there's no story element at all we're just going to do this stunt where you hold on to the outside of an airplane as it takes off and so they do it and tom cruise <laughs> did it he really did yeah. hang on the outside of this airplane <laughs> as it took off and they did eight takes i don't I feel like nothing you say about the stunts in Rogue Nation and yeah. uh, Fallout are ever going to do enough justice. Eight right. takes of hanging <laughs> on the outside of an airplane while it takes off. That is thousands of feet into the air at like right. hundreds of miles an hour. Like this is right. The G forces alone. I don't understand. It's so dumb and his only the only safety on it is he had a strap it was a safety strap yeah. that held him to the plane but he's on the outside it's like you know what tom we're, i'm we're not gonna rely on just your hands we'll give you a little harness. <laughs> right we know that you, can... you believe you're superhuman and can accomplish this but <laughs> the insurance companies are gonna shut us down if we don't at least have yeah. a safety strap on you <laughs> yeah yeah, I mean, the insurance company left the production for Ghost Protocol when he wanted to climb the outside of the building. They're like, Tom, we need a strap for if you're going to attach yourself to an airplane. <laughs> you got to throw us a bone, man. You got to throw us a bone. <laughs> yeah, that scene is awesome. And yeah. I love it. And then his escape from his torture. Mm-hmm. I always feel like not enough people have talked about this. Or given it enough respect of how he escapes <laughs> when he does that. Particularly the like inverted sit up. The he does. inverted sit up with the chain <laughs> where he like hops up off of the pole and then starts yeah. fighting. Like climbs this pole while he's handcuffed. What? At like, <laughs> he's like 54 or something when this movie came out. <laughs> and he's jacked. Yeah. And he. When I watched it with I mean, my if daughter, I was, if I was Ilsa, I'd be in love with him too. It's true. When I watched it with my daughter <laughs> and he escaped, I distinctly remember looking just dead eye at her and being like, "You see that? Did you see what he did?" <laughs> and she was like, "Yes, Dad." I was like, "I feel you did not see what he just did." Like I was that guy. You don't understand. <laughs> like, yeah. You give it the respect, and she's like, "Dad." <laughs> Dad, calm down. I just, I've always felt that. Uh, like, the first time I ever saw it and he did that, I was just like, what? 
<laughs> Did he? What? Yeah, it's incredibly impressive. I see it every time. Uh, but yeah, Ilsa has this. She's obviously working with the bad guys, but she helps him escape. Yep. She very obviously helps him escape, but then she also stays behind and uses Ethan having killed all of those, her friends allegedly uh, as her cover to like, I guess, keep her cover. You feel like she must be a undercover you, in the syndicate, something like that. You have no clue how you're supposed to feel about her. The first time I saw it, I took it very much as like, oh, she's some assassin that gets off on like letting the prey go. Like she likes uh, hunting it. Yeah. Like she's going to come yeah, back. Yeah. Like, later or something. Oh, this is a game yeah. that he, I mean, he had no choice. He kind of had to play into it, but like that was yeah. how I took it the first time I watched it, at least for the first half of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. But yeah, the, the way that Solomon Lane controls <laughs> the story, cause that's, I think that's what sets rogue nation kind of apart is, it's not just Ethan Hunt trying to hunt down the syndicate or specifically Solomon Lane trying to save the world yeah. from his plant. It's really Solomon Lane controls the whole story. The mm-hmm. whole everything that happens in the movie is because of Lane. And yeah. like trying to just keep up with Lane, trying to figure out what Lane's doing. Mm-hmm. It's insane. I I appreciate that. It, it kind of reminds me of a certain superhero movie, Jake, that you absolutely love. It's like, <laughs> man, it's amazing when the villain controls this whole thing and the audience doesn't yeah. quite understand how much control the villain has until the end. Yeah, of it. it's <laughs> great to see the hero on their heels yeah. the whole time. And yeah, it, it also feels very much like Skyfall, like Javier Bardem in Skyfall, where he's an incredible villain who just kind of controls everything mm-hmm. and and nobody everybody's just reacting to what he's doing basically the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Um so parallel to Ethan and his hijinks, uh Brant is back in Washington with the US government trying to shut down the IMF because after the events of Ghost Protocol they're not very happy with the IMF, even though they saved the world. Uh, and so they're trying to shut down the IMF and give all of their missions to the CIA. They're like, hey, you know what? We have an intelligence agency. We don't really need you. Uh, so the CIA is going to do it from now on. And so uh, Eth- uh, Alec Baldwin's character is kind of in charge of that yeah. and telling telling Brant that he has to take his orders from the CIA now, basically. And he can't talk to Ethan Hunt because he's now uh, he's now a man without a country again. <laughs> Once again. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, if the formula works, don't change it. And I, you got to respect the Mission Impossible franchise for knowing, like, mm-hmm. it works. We know Hunt's going to be does. on his own. We know he's going to try and figure it out. It'll be we're going to save the world at the last second. Sometimes the last millisecond. Um, yeah. But you know the formula. But every entry is like intense. You are in it the whole mm-hmm. way. Yeah. And every entry is pretty different. This is Chris McQuarrie's first uh, movie. And I really feel like it, even though it was great, it's not like it didn't have its uh, stride or whatever. I feel like it also kind of found its stride mm-hmm. with 
with McHugh and 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 I think he and Tom Cruise meld well with their vision for what yep. it should be or could be. Um, obviously, they worked together first on the first Jack Reacher movie. Um, I think that that Rogue Nation and Fallout, and I'm assuming the Dead Reckoning one and two are going to just be the the best of the series. Yeah. Oh yeah, McQuarrie. <laughs> It kind of strikes me as like the Russo brothers version, but for Mission Impossible, where the Russo brothers, when they took over making some of the Marvel films, they started yeah. escalating the actual storytelling. That's why, you know, yeah. Winter Soldier They're is like, like, this is great, but this is what it could right. be. Right. Like, we can take this further than what you guys are allowing yourselves to do. I feel like yeah. that's what Christopher McQuarrie did. And yeah, him and Tom Cruise, I imagine when they made Jack Reacher together, probably yeah. spent more time talking about Mission Impossible than they did Jack Reacher. <laughs> so, probably, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, if this is Mission Impossible, we could do this and this right. and this. That'd be so cool. I think it's cool that McQuarrie has kind of just been the guy that, like, I'm going to take over. I'll be able to finish this off with Tom. And it's just, they're mm -hmm. making good stories. I'm assuming part one and part two are going to be incredible. Um, yeah. Even if they suck, I feel like I'm going to be that one fan that's like, uh-uh, it's still good, only uh, because <laughs> I love the franchise. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sure, probably. Uh, so Ethan has seen this strange man with glasses that he has no idea who he is. He's seen this strange woman that has helped him escape, but may be dangerous. He's not really sure what her deal is. And he can't talk to the IMF because they are now gone. And he can't really talk to the CIA because he can't trust any of them. <laughs> and he doesn't know who's involved in the syndicate and who's not. Yeah. So he kind of goes full conspiracy theorist and starts just putting string on walls and tying things together <laughs> and sketching faces and all this stuff. Uh, but it's enough to help them figure out that Ilsa Faust used to be an ex-MI6 agent she might still be she's un, might be undercover with the syndicate or she might just be employed by them right. we're not entirely sure and uh and then yeah who solomon lane is and what his deal is and he's kind of creating this anti-imf to to start wars and and do these little things to make the world less stable instead of more stable yeah, yeah. which they expand which a lot on exciting. during fallout um, yeah, yeah. You get his full vision around Fallout time. Uh, yeah, but Rogue Nation just—I felt like it, it just kept adding, and that—that that was one thing that I really appreciate. Another thing I really appreciate is just their ability to keep expanding and adding onto this whole world of IMF agents and mm -hmm. these villains without going you've mounted up like there's a lot of similarities with the bond franchise and nothing against the bond franchise but all of them for the most part maybe mm -hmm. with the exception of like the daniel craig era all of them though mm -hmm. are like they lean into the cheesiness the fun it's supposed to be mm -hmm. like kind of ridiculous on, on on purpose whereas mission impossible the more they expand on this world the more villains that they have to stop who are trying to either end the world or profit off of destruction it never feels right. too far-fetched 
it always feels like a more realistic danger because the idea is never yeah. taking over the world. It's how do I destroy this place or how do I kill <laughs> a third of the population? I'm not going for everyone. I just want to inflict so much destruction yeah. or just enough destruction that it rattles the system. Right. Exactly. I, I just, I appreciate all the layers that they keep adding to it without going too mm-hmm. far into the ridiculousness. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, uh, I really like rogue nations ability to, it kind of resets the parts that I wasn't the hugest fan of a ghost mm-hmm. protocol, which is like the technology and over the top, uh, kind of gimmicky technology. Rogue nation is, seems to me a little more grounded in the sense that it has like, well, the cool vinyl projector thing at the beginning. And then the, uh, the opera sequence when Benji goes, he has like a little program, yeah. uh, like a booklet that, uh, Ethan had sent him when he puts like this little disc next to it and turns it sideways, it has like the, the text goes away and it's like moving <laughs> right. pictures, it's like, <laughs> but it looks like paper. It looks really, really cool. Um, and like their little lock picking devices, it just kind of like scans the lock and then forms a key out of this little, like small particles of metal. Well, it yeah, it's out. like a it just infrared takes a second. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just really cool. Uh, and then there's like Elsa has those like little, gloves that like read your body's oxygen mm-hmm. level when you're underwater all of that stuff i just feel like it's practical super practical um but also super interesting it, it's interesting um yeah you brought up the the gloves for measuring your oxygen <laughs> uh-huh. this was one of those stunts that my daughter was like she was just on her feet she was like i can't like this is a lot dad i was like i know it is kid i know (laughs) (laughs) yeah when they have to go down that anus for lack of a better phrase (laughs) ethan dives down this waterfall which is like a cooling system for a giant computer or mainframe or whatever uh and has to swim underneath and control his breathing so he doesn't run out of oxygen while he like finds the right disc or card or yeah, whatever it's like it's some called. kind of uh, I'm not computer techie. It, it's <laughs> it looks like an old school like hole punch card like that has like five bytes of data on it or something. Um but yeah it's essentially just like a key card that has some code on it. They have to get it out of this vault but it's all underwater and it's spinning around and there's all kinds of chaos. And of course, uh, things go, don't go according to plan (laughs) when Ethan gets hit in the chest with one of those arms and, and also the key card, he was going to replace it with the real one. He loses both of them. (laughs) And, uh, it's kind of like a callback to the first movie where he has the two different discs. Yeah. List discs. discs. Uh, and yeah, and then he's trying to finish it, but he runs out of oxygen and Ilsa has to save him. That whole sequence is so intense. So yeah, I, I totally feel the way that you're done. <laughs> yeah, she was like, when we watched this franchise, she spent the majority of it two ways where she was trying to like figure everything out. So it was confusing her mm-hmm. because some of the stories <laughs> get a little like, there's a lot. Mm-hmm. And then she was just like, 
all tensed up watching the different stunts that that Cruz does. She's like, he really did this, Dad? Yeah, yeah this was a real one. Oh, my God, Dad, I don't know if I can watch this. Like, <laughs> I was like, yeah. guess how long he held his breath for when they filmed this? She was like, what? It was like six minutes. She was like, I'm going to try it. I was like, no, no, you don't get it. Like, <laughs> you had to train for this. That's dude. not a normal thing. <laughs> yeah. People don't just do that. <laughs> yeah, Rogue Nation just... It's full of some fun, intense moments. Trying to figure out Ilsa's story for I've mm-hmm. I feel like you get caught up because she shows up so many times, and even after yeah. you find out that she's like MI six deep undercover, uh, and her handler mm-hmm. is kind of like betraying her at the same mm-hmm. time, like even then, I feel you don't fully trust Ilsa until they're at right. the diner. Right. Well, she, yeah, I feel like you want to, Mm -hmm. and that's a good motivator, but she also is, is very strong in character where even if she doesn't want to do something, she might have to do something like she might have to do something to prove herself to Solomon Lane so that he buys her and trusts her. And that might mean killing somebody on Ethan's team because that's like her job <laughs> that she, it's not personal. It's just business kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. And she's someone who could just, she could carry it out if she had to. So she's unpredictable in that way. Very unpredictable. Whereas Ethan is kind of the opposite. He's like, okay, well, I'm obviously not going to do that. I'll just <laughs> find another way around it instead. <laughs> and she's like, no, if I have to do it, I'll do it. And so she's very cool like that. Uh, I we skipped over the opera sequence, oh, yeah, but did. the opera Sorry. sequence is like one of my favorites as well. And uh, and her in that dress, that mm-hmm. yellow dress, where she's like taking apart the the railing to like build that gun and assassinate that one dude. Uh, it's just beautifully shot, and and the fight between Ethan and the other other assassin, and then he realizes there's like two other assassins, and one of them is Ilsa. Uh, that whole process is is extremely exciting. I love all of that stuff. Yeah, her hiding in the set piece with the yeah. rifle is uh, <laughs> while Benji is up in the box with the you brought up the infrared key. Yeah, that opera sequence is a it's so unique to me. Like, just how do I worry? It's like the way that this franchise starts putting you in these different situations that are you wouldn't think of like a a spy movie setting like the opera or whatever but -hmm. the way that they're shot you feel like i I like that they use the lighting from the opera or at the clubs and like fallout and all that it's used to help prepare or propel your confusion or just like what could be going on that I don't see when I go someplace like, what am I not seeing? It, it's kind of fun how they like play with that kind of mentality with the lighting and just the way they shoot inside certain yeah. uh, settings. And the opera one is, it's a fun one. His fight on the, the catwalk <laughs> with the guy is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he, that guy has like the coolest flute gun that he assembles just it looks totally like a flute but the way it comes together i don't know it's just really cool looking it's definitely different that's for sure (laughs) yeah um 
so Ilsa has this they've they stole this list of something that that Solomon wants and she tries to take she tries to get it to her handler she first has to escape because she steals it from Ethan so that's another time where she kind of betrays Ethan she's like you know what I just saved your life but I am also going to electrocute Benji and steal this thing back <laughs> so you really can't trust her it seems like but the chase the car chase and the motorcycle chase where she's on the motorcycle is all it's awesome one of the best chases in the series but i feel like when it gets to the point where benji and um ethan crash well it, it starts off awesome because ethan just died and was brought back to life basically <laughs> right and then he has to like go on this big char car chase but he's not all together there <laughs> and so ethan's like dude are you okay to drive <laughs> and so he has to like I don't know, he can barely dive across a car, like slide like normal. Cool it, yeah, his slide. badassery <laughs> is taking a little bit of a hit right now. <laughs> yeah, he's operating at like a seven compared to his normal 15 or whatever. And uh, but the, so they crash and then Ethan jumps on a motorcycle and is speeding through the streets. And I was just like amazed watching this, like almost mouth open agape watching it because he has no helmet on mm -hmm. he's got sunglasses mm -hmm. that's about it and uh, all of the bad guys have like helmets and full body leather outfits full protective gear and ethan's going like 90 down this highway between cars no helmet no i forget nothing. what his speed actually was when they filmed it so that's actually him driving and that is high speed. Yeah. I, I actually well, think... it's very obviously him driving because he has no helmet on. So you're like, oh, that's Tom Cruise doing this, right? I now. actually think they topped a hundred miles an hour when they filmed it. Um, Probably, if I remember reading right. There's actually a shot you see it. They left it in the movie um, where he's on a turn, <laughs> and you can see his knee like hit the pavement, and you can see him kind of mm. like react to it. And they kept it because he was like. <laughs> You got a little too it's close real. there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's very intense. And I'm watching it. I'm like, I'm very, it's very obviously Tom Cruise. And I feel like it's so exciting to see him doing it with, again, no protection or anything. And then I was like, but at some point, he probably did have a stunt writer on it. And if you're a, if you're a stunt performer who's doubling Tom Cruise... You, you also don't get to wear a helmet or protection or a jacket or anything. And so when Ilsa steps out into the street and he like lays down the bike to avoid yeah. hitting her, you're, somebody had to then That's the dive off right of the... There. Yeah. yeah, but he had no helmet or anything and had to die, take a dive off this bike. <laughs> I'm like, that is incredible, but it just blew my mind how fast that Tom Cruise is clearly going on the street like that. I was trying to find it real quick, but I'm not finding it real quick because there's so many different like things to go over on it. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I want to say when they filmed it, he did. I want to say it was like 105, if not a little faster than that at one point <laughs> while they filmed. But that's like that's the thing with that's Tom fine. Cruise movies and not just Mission Impossible. If Tom Cruise is in an action yeah. movie. He's going to be on a motorcycle and he's going to be driving it really <laughs> fucking fast at some point. It's like a thing. Tom yeah. Cruise has 
three things that he is always going to do in his movies. He's going to do his own stunts. He's going to drive his cars really, mm-hmm. really fast. And he's going to run. <laughs> Every yeah. movie he's in, he's doing one, if not all three. He's going to run really, really fast. He's yeah. going to run really, really fast. I think the fastest he runs is in Fallout, but that's to come. Um, yeah. Yeah, the motorcycle chasing. When she steps out in front of him, that's such a like badass movie moment of asserting yourself. But it's yeah. also one of those moments where you're like, you have to really, really, really be confident and trust <laughs> that the other person is going to fail. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a power move on Ilsa's part. Oh, 100%. She's like, but- she's like I know you and your motive and what your limits are. It's just like the Batman thing. It's like I, you have a rule and you're not going to break <laughs> right. it. Right. And uh, I'm going to exploit it now. And she does. She does. Yeah. I'm still trying to find how fast they went, but <laughs> really fucking fast. Is the really fucking fast. <laughs> <laughs> so the point of rogue nation is that Solomon lane has created this secret organization that is a rogue nation. It's a rogue of, it's a nation of disavowed agents from all across the world, the U S whatever. And they are able to operate uh, without any oversight, Ilsa learns that they were try they were created or initially attempted to be created by MI6, mm-hmm. and uh, and her boss erases that drive with all of the information because he doesn't want anybody to know that they created the syndicate and are responsible for it, and that Solomon Lane used to be MI6 as well. And, uh, but Benji made a copy of the information and so they still have it. The only problem is that they need the, the English uh, prime minister to open it <laughs> right? because it has like some security on it. So Ethan breaks into the, the prime minister's residence with Hundley, the, uh, Alec Baldwin's character and Brandt and, uh, Owen oh, Luther helped Brandt find, uh, find Ethan. So Luther's around as well. Yeah. Luther has returned. He's like, he's not a cameo in this one. He's a full fledged, like he's a part of the, yeah, the whole thing, legit team member. <laughs> and, uh, and so Ethan pretends to be the guy who was Elsa's handler and gets, uh, gets the whole, gets Hunley to believe that the syndicate is real. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then, and then helps Hunley take the credit for the, for the fall of the guy who was in charge of MI6 and in charge of, and responsible for creating the syndicate against the prime minister's wishes and all this stuff. And so then Ethan has this card, which the, the thing that Elsa had stolen that they thought it was erased and wasn't was actually a bunch of financial information that was supposed to fund the syndicate. If MI6 wanted to go through with it, because the prime minister said, no, it was supposed to be destroyed, but it wasn't. Ethan destroys the financial information, but then set, then memorizes it first. Yeah. Calls up Solomon Lane and says, Hey, I need you, or if you want this money to run the syndicate, uh, 
I am the only one who has it because I have memorized it and uh, and destroyed all of the information. And Benji has been kidnapped, so you need to give me Benji. This is like the first time that a team member that he really cares about has been kidnapped. Yeah. And so that's this really is, motivating. This is one of those moments where you as an audience member are uh, kind of put in check to realize just how much you actually care for these characters. Cause you always kind of yeah. take them as like, Oh, they're fun. It's his team. Like Benji's back. We love Benji. When and Benji not is really in danger. <laughs> yeah. You're like, please, please don't, don't kill Benji. Like <laughs> don't hurt Benji. Don't, hurt Benji. <laughs> don't. It's like seeing an animal get injured in a movie where you're just like, <laughs> no, you can't do that. No, this is, yeah. this is wrong. You can't do that. <laughs> Because he's in, he's got that that kind of innocence to him. That whole sure. scene, the negotiation scene where Ilsa shows up and she's like, "The only way to prove all of this is like you're my test. I have to kill you." You know, mm -hmm. that whole negotiation scene, it's intense because you're just waiting for like, I could see Lane just being like, "Fine," and just killing Benji yeah. and killing everyone. Because he's been set up for that long. And he's always ahead of the game. This is one of those great moments where it kind of like reminds you. You brought up like uh, Ethan's little moment of hubris or whatever with the mission accomplished mm -hmm. at the end of uh, Ghost Protocol. You could almost say this is like Lane's moment of hubris because he kind of for the yeah. first time really since you've met him, he's kind of like emotional about stuff yeah he's not in control for the first time yeah he kind of lets his guard down just just a little bit mm -hmm. this is such a satisfying like once benji is freed and you're like <laughs> oh thank god the way they conclude ish <laughs> do you think that ethan really memorized all of those numbers no for, for the like, you know, honestly, two point nine billion pounds of, of of accounts, not that many. I think he he probably memorized just enough that if he had to yeah. like give some away, he would be able to. I think he memorized he just gives, enough for negotiations, and that's it. I that's what I think too. I think that he did one to like kind of prove his point and he gives him 50 million dollars and the guy confirms that it's real and mm -hmm. he's like oh shit this guy actually has my money and so i can't kill him that kind of yeah. buys him time but i was like yeah he probably memorized three five maybe yeah. i could see him being able to do that memorize just enough to like prove your point and then that's it mm -hmm. um yeah i don't just buy time yeah, despite how intelligent and like crazy off the charts that they all are, I mean, he's a spy. He's supposed mm -hmm. he's trained to memorize more and at a quicker pace than any normal person. Yeah. But his character through the franchise would be he's going to do what he just needs to do. If he has to do extra, mm -hmm. it'll only be a stunt. Stunt-wise, he's going to do something extra. Excuse me, yeah. extra. Other than that, he's just going to do what's going to get the job done. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Just figured out as he goes. <laughs> what are you talking about when Benji gets away? Yeah. You know what I really like about the way that they catch Solomon Lane when like the big chase, you know, everyone's. Yeah. And he gets in that box. 
it kind of reminds me of like the moment with Ethan back in the first mission impossible with the, the two discs where he does the magic trick, yeah. the sleight of hand that he does. Yeah. This to me was kind of a callback to that side of his personality where he was like, mm-hmm. I used the sleight of hand. It was like, I used my, my distractions to be able to, con- you know, yeah. this magic trick, if you will, on catching the bad guy. But also have a little bit of flair while you're. Oh doing yeah, it. like you don't you don't have to go above and beyond to put that like emotional message on top <laughs> to be like, hey, remember that time at the beginning of the movie when you got me stuck in that black <laughs> right. box and I couldn't escape <laughs> yeah. and filled it with gas? I'm gonna do the same thing to you, and you're gonna know I'm doing it to you, and you can't. You'll know how I felt. When <laughs> right, I like stop karma's it. a bitch, dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that is definitely. Very oh, and, and you as audience, like I, I love watching that. I love watching Solomon mm-hmm. Lane just have that like shit moment. It's the same thing that Hunt went through, but his is now like super pissed off because it's he got. I mean, Hunt got the better of him. Yeah, it's not supposed to. Lane's supposed to be like <laughs> the guy, and he he failed. I love watching him fail. <laughs> My daughter, yeah, she was like, "Why don't they just kill him?" And I was like. Because then we wouldn't have the next movie. You kind of need him for the next one. She's like, oh my God, he comes back. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's him in Fallout is, and the fact that they're just like back to back movies yeah. is also probably my favorite. Well, for they- McQuarrie to come on and make them kind of more of a consistent mm-hmm. story with a consistent feel. Uh, that's, part of why I think he was able to elevate it to another level. Yeah. It takes place two years after rogue nation. Um, the syndicate is still like, it's kind of there, but now it's like taking on a new form. Now you've got the apostles under this guy named, uh, John Lark. Yeah. And so it's They're like, like the, what's left over from the syndicate where the syndicate was just, people who wanted a job Mm -hmm. and the apostles are the, the people that really believed in it. And well, yeah, it's taken on this whole new identity of it's no longer the anti IMF. Now it's like an actual like terrorist cell. Yeah. Yeah. With beliefs and a manifesto manifesto and all of this stuff. An ends or a mean to an end. And yeah, it definitely adds so much more to the stakes. I think Fallout mm-hmm. is potentially the most intense out of the series. Yeah. Just because every every new thing they learn, every new situation they get put in is so much worse than like it just keeps making mm-hmm. the whole thing so bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I uh, it's interesting. McQuarrie said that he liked the the different feel of every mission impossible movie so for fallout he changed up basically his entire crew except for like his editor and someone else composer maybe like everybody else is different so that you still get kind of a different Mm -hmm. feel even though you have the same head and everything i mean it it definitely feels like the next mission Mm-hmm. which is a little different, but bringing on, you know, the fact that like 
Hunt is suddenly put in a position where he has to break Lane out yeah. to use him as a, a trade. Um, I think Fallout, it doesn't feel that much different. It just feels more intense. It feels exactly as mm-hmm. it's supposed to, where it's following up from Rogue Nation. It's following up from everything that Ethan and Luther have kind of been a part of since the beginning. And this is fine. You know, I brought it up a while back of like fallout is really about all the consequences of mm-hmm. Ethan Hunt's compassion and empathy to save the one person and his team. Right. Yeah. And in this case, it's, it's predominantly Luther yeah. who they were trying to do a mission and collect this nuclear material. And instead of going after that, Ethan went after Luther and tried to save him instead. And so they lose the nukes and the the government and everybody is very upset about Ethan. Everyone's bet like, yeah, you meet Angela Bassett. She's now the head of the CIA and she's got her lackey, which is Henry Cavill. Mm-hmm. Now I love Henry Cavill in this movie. He's so good. Oh my gosh. But there's always, I think it, It'll probably be a permanent thing for me. <laughs> There's always going to be a little, like, tiny, 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 tiny shred of resentment. At the mustache? Every time I see the, the mustache and, and his scruff. I look at his mustache and I'm like, why would you want to cover that up with CGI? Because it's so beautiful. I'm, I look at it and I'm like, that would have been a great look. Just build maybe this out a little bit more it would have worked yeah. it would have been oh, fine bearded superman is great like they should have just gone with it in <laughs> justice league it. instead of screwing it up <laughs> but this isn't a justice league podcast but, it, but it's not but there's like there's that little little shred of just oh like, there's no getting away from it uh, absolutely <laughs> and it's not his fault yeah. we're looking no. at you whedon um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so august walker is brought on to he's a cia guy but uh angela bassett's character basically forces hunley to let him on his team on hunt's team so he kind of joins the imf but he's very much well he's an outsider not only is he an outsider but he's been given full clearance that I mean, he's an assassin and he's been given mm-hmm. full clearance. Kill him. If it means getting that plutonium back, yeah. like don't let anyone stand your way. And if, yeah, if anything goes wrong, like shoot to kill. So it's kind yeah. of Ethan Hunt knows like, well, <laughs> he, he knows, but he ignores the fact for most mm-hmm. of the movie. And then there's also a conflict in styles because yeah. uh, Angela Bassett says that Alec Baldwin likes to use a scalpel, and obviously referring to Ethan. And she's like, "I like to use a hammer." And you see, yeah, well, Superman and he's like, with I a mean, mustache. It's Henry Cavill. The dude is just—he's out there reloading his arms constantly. <laughs> just fucking dude. Did you up. hear that was originally just something that Cavill was doing just to kind of get himself ready to film that bathroom scene? Yeah, and yeah, I heard that. Like, uh, Do that. <laughs> yeah, I heard McQuarrie was like, "What was that?" And Henry Cavill's like, "I'm, I'm sorry." He's like, "No, no, no, 
keep doing that. <laughs> so that was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I remember when the trailer came out and the way they timed the music with him doing the arm load was oh, like it sold me on the movie immediately. <laughs> I just punched my microphone. <laughs> As long as you do it with your reloaded gun I, arms. Well, that's, that's what I was. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have that much. <laughs> no, that 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 one second shot sold me on the movie immediately. <laughs> like, like that yep. was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but we get like we get the first real crazy stunt from Cruz, and mm-hmm. again, it's pretty early in the film. This is not that long into it, but we get the halo jump. This is a big deal. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's not like normal skydiving where you just jump out of an airplane and open a parachute whenever you want. A halo jump is a high altitude where you fly above the enemy's radar, low opening where you have to fall way, way longer and then open your parachute when you get below the radar. So when you're like right above the ground and then they like do it through a lightning storm yeah. at, the, at the same time at dusk where it's like very dark and <laughs> kind of not light and all this stuff and i tom cruise did that stunt like a hundred times or something it was like i forget how many times, times he did i mean he a lot of practice jump. takes or a lot of <laughs> practice jumps uh and then a bunch of a handful of takes what gets yeah. me and i i'm pretty positive you and i brought this up during our stunts episode yeah, we did. Um, what What's more shocking about the Halo jump scene in this movie than Tom Cruise mm-hmm. actually does this Halo jump? The fucking cameraman had to do the Halo jump <laughs> with him, but he had to dive yeah. out backwards. Like he had yeah. to. <laughs> <laughs> I love watching the setup for that scene where. Tom Cruise and Henry Cavill are talking and they're like getting their gear set up and it's just the one long take and Tom Cruise then walks to the end of the door, looks down, sees there's a giant lightning storm, he turns around, he's like, hey, Walker, we need to talk about this, figure out another plan. And then Walker just like pulls his oxygen and walks off. You see, you've watched the blocking, I just love the blocking of it, where you see henry cavill walk out of frame apparently off set around the camera then pans over to the door you see somebody dive off i don't (laughs) think it's uh, no henry Henry cavill Cavill was not allowed to do the jump (laughs) (laughs) and then uh, they're like i'm superman i should be able to do it Uh, but then it goes back to tom cruise and just yeah then follows him backwards the entire time and falls off the airplane with the cameraman right in front of his face and uh i guess they switched off camera operators in the middle of that long shot Mm -hmm. where the actual they hand it off to the guy who's going to jump off in (laughs) while they're actually filming the scene it's just like the choreography of where people are standing inside this airplane yeah it's so incredible and then yeah then dive down the lightning strikes them as they're falling and they have to like collect themselves. Walker's unconscious. Well, I was and so collect Ethan, has to save him. Ethan Hunt has to like save <laughs> collect Walker. Both of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Before they impale themselves on the roof of this building in Paris, which always cracks me <laughs> up. Cause he like, he gives Walker his oxygen tank. He kind of flips him up, pulls the chute, and then he pulls his, gets caught on the the tip of this mm-hmm. building and like kind of falls yeah. down 
and he has that literally just opens like, it, it just enough time to not splash right. splat himself. And I, and I like that he has that moment, just like, oh god, <laughs> like <laughs> that didn't work. And then you see fucking Walker land perfectly, detached from the parachute, and he's like, oh, looks like you lost yeah. your oxygen there. He's like, oh, that was textbook. All right. <laughs> Sorry, Ethan. You that rookie. was cake. Don't know what you were worried about. <laughs> yeah. It's just such a great. And the fact that Ethan doesn't say anything about it, he's like, whatever, man. It's so perfect. <laughs> These fucking guys. <laughs> yeah, the but Halo jump that is club. It's so crazy to watch that sequence. Oh, it's the best. It's the best. And it leads into that club where they meet the White Widow mm-hmm. and she's giving that speech about Max and yeah. all this stuff. Um, before that, they follow the guy, the guy that uh, they're supposed to find who may or may not be uh, part of the whole situation. They don't know who he is. They just are tracking him, follow him into the bathroom, which is an awesome bathroom fight. And uh, that. They can't beat this guy, but he ends up getting shot in the face by none other than the great Ilsa Faust, who just shows up out of nowhere and kind of doesn't know that it's Ethan, is a little very surprised to see him. Right. And I think he as well is surprised to see her. I love Cavill on that scene after she shoots uh, supposedly John Lark in the face. Um, Yeah. Ethan and and Elsa have that like kind of look at each other like what the hell are you doing here? And you get mm. Cavill who kind of like points his pokes his head around a corner, just kind of like, <laughs> like Yeah. <laughs> it's just little moments like that work really well in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh the Ethan they they had Cavill smashed uh, what's his name Lark's face with the briefcase that was supposed to make the mask <laughs> and so we get another instance where we wish we had a mask we have to hope that that these two people have never met each other because yeah. we don't really know if that's true or not I like that added tension I like it in Ghost Protocol and I like it in this movie as well where they he has to go in kind of naked where he's just his face and he's playing himself but he's also trying to convince this person that he's somebody else uh, and he does it in both of those cases mm-hmm. but it's it was very exciting and and so yeah when he meets uh, the white widow and kind of gets her to trust him by getting her out of there and protecting her from all of the different people and and walker helps them and ilsa helps him a little bit um but doesn't join him uh, that's all pretty very exciting <laughs> Well, everyone's got an agenda. I think that's the that's one of the crazy things about Fallout is everyone mm-hmm. has their own agenda, and it's just watching all of them kind of I don't want to say work together, but they have to use each other to yeah. get every all of their agendas kind of to play out. It, it's interesting because Fallout is a movie where you're you're shown a lot of characters that you don't trust. Even Elsa, when she shows up, you're confused. Mm-hmm. And she starts acting like she was in Rogue Nation. And you're like, shit, yeah. what's got, what's happened to Elsa? This isn't good. Like, don't be a bad guy. Don't be a bad guy. Yeah, she doesn't want to tell uh, Ethan what's going on or why she's there. 
but she also did save him again. Mm -hmm. So she's just got constantly conflicting uh, morals or sides. Yeah, trying to find the missing plutonium. That's like Ethan's, that's his mission. I just have to get the plutonium, but everything is so like, I feel Mm -hmm. he spends that whole movie only trusting Luther and Benji. They're the only two that he's like, I know I that you guys have my back. I have yours. Everyone else mm-hmm. is fair game. Um, yeah. And he trusts Hunley too, I think, when he brings him into the catacombs. Yeah. He had trusts him too. But yeah, it's very tight in the group. And he, even though he wants to trust Ilsa still, he really can't. Uh, well, yeah, you don't. Oh, excuse me. Ilsa and, and Rebecca Ferguson she plays it so perfect where like you really never know what's actually going on in her head. Even with mm-hmm. like the close-ups of her eyes, whatever she's doing or those little facial expressions she'll give hunt. You never know like just how calculating she is or what's actually going yeah. on. So it's, I think she's kind of underrated. She's a great addition to this and a great actress yeah. actually great actress she's fantastic <laughs> uh, we've been watching her in silo and she's incredible in okay. the show silo as well yeah highly recommend it but yeah she's she's one of my favorites in this and it is particularly because of just how she plays it and mm-hmm. how she keeps it all close close to the chest oh, and all that stuff um so she she is trying to buy her freedom by bringing in solomon lane and re breaking him out of the custody of of whoever they're in custody with and taking him to MI6. Mm-hmm. That's well, like and her thing. Before Lane is like actually brought in to play, um they do another cool setup almost, like a nod to the first mission impossible, which I love is the hospital mm-hmm. room where they've got the fist yes. there and uh Yeah they're playing the video yeah. of like the news report is playing. It's like a hard cut where they start showing the news and they're like, Oh, and a nuclear bomb has gone off in Jerusalem and in Mecca mm-hmm. and in uh, Rome and Vatican city. And, and you're like, Oh shit. Did they just fail? Like did they fail to get back the plutonium? And yeah, the way they play that guy by, saying oh you were in that this crash and it was two weeks ago and and all this shit has happened and right we have this manifesto <laughs> from solomon lane and all this stuff that is so brilliantly done particularly when they get him to agree to tell him where the stuff is for well yeah they need they his uh the they need the passcode to his phone <laughs> and so he gives it to him mm-hmm. and i love how i love how they play it because it's direct from the first from the opening of the first movie of like, did mm-hmm. we get it? Yeah, we got it. And then it's like, here we go. I love watching that guy's face when the walls drop and they get mm-hmm. up and they're like, oh, that crash you're in? That was an hour ago. Oh, I was driving the car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you see Wolf Blitzer on CNN stand up and walk over and then pull off his mask and it's just Benji and you're like, 
that is brilliant. It's so fun. It's and, fun. It's uh, great. It's a nice a great like, way to manipulate them. It's a good win moment because you're already yeah. like nothing has really worked for Hunt and the team mm-hmm. so far. Um, mm-hmm. I do miss Brant. He's like the only one not accounted for, and I kind of miss yeah. Brant in this one. Yeah, but it's not enough to take away from the movie because the movie is badass. <laughs> so Ethan and Walker have convinced the White Widow, Max's daughter, that they are bad guys, and he's John Lark, and he needs to. Uh, he's willing to wants to buy the plutonium, yeah. get the plutonium from them, needs to figure out where it is. And uh, the White Widow tells him, well, sorry, the seller doesn't interest in money. They want you to break out uh, Solomon Lane from custody. And so they need to go through this essentially heist of an armed transport and figure out how to get him out of out of their custody right? and, and use him potentially set him free in order to use him to get the plutonium and that's their goal which is the opposite of what you want you don't want <laughs> you to, don't want uh, this guy back out and now he's all letting a bear out of a trap he like solomon lane went from looking like a very cold calculated sophisticated villain mm-hmm. and then when you see him in fallout he's kind of uh he looks like he would write a manifesto he looks like mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he would be <laughs> a full-blown terrorist. We'll just say he was a full-blown terrorist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. he looks terrifying <laughs> even more so. Uh, we didn't talk about the big cold open of this movie, though, which is a unique one with the dream sequence. Yep. That that is such a, I guess, kind of out-of-character thing for the series. That would be... So the two... The dream sequences in the movie would be what I would say is what makes this one feel different than the others. Uh, They're dark. (laughs) They don't Mm -hmm. make you feel warm and fuzzy. That's for sure. (laughs) Yeah. And they're, I think fallout is kind of deeply personal, not just with Ethan saving luther and screwing up and needing to figure out how to solve that but in the, with that dream sequence it is ethan and julia at a wedding mm-hmm. and like they were married once and he starts reciting his vows but then it kind of turns into his oath to the imf instead and officiating the whole thing is solomon lane which is like a nightmare situation <laughs> for him it's like why are you in my dream i can't stop thinking about you and then they've got the the nuclear explosion that happens and it's like terminator mm. 2 where you watch them yeah. turn into skeletons and then dusted and he you know abruptly awakes i think the dream yeah. that he has it's later on um solomon lane shows up again with with julia mm-hmm. after they've gotten solomon and he like mm-hmm. works awake and Solomon's just staring at him and just watching him. To me, every time I watch Fallout, I'm like, I would be shit in my pants. <laughs> yeah. Because you know Lane knows, like, I'm in your head. Like, I'm getting to you, yeah. Like, I fucked you up. You may have caught me, but I have fucked you up. Uh, yeah. But that comes a little so. later. <laughs> I love that this movie 
also does the callback of how Ethan Hunt will envision mm-hmm. a scenario uh, where he's being told like what the heist is going to look like to pull Lane out. Yeah. But it's through Hunt's perception. So he's envisioning just a massacre. And yeah. Then being and put- he sees these cops that he would have to kill. Yeah. And- and he'd have to do it to stay in character, and he doesn't really think he can do that. Yeah, that one, I like that they call back to that kind of stuff. I <clears throat> I don't take it as like a member, Barry. I take that as just a reminder of how Ethan's mind mm-hmm. is constantly working, where he is seeing every situation there is right. uh, on the fly. And I also like that he immediately, you can tell, you don't see it, but you can tell he's calculating a different way. Yeah. Immediately. Yeah. Especially since it's going to involve Solomon Lane. <laughs> Fuck. Right. <that. laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So the the whole heist situation is is very exciting, and the the way that they knock Solomon Lane into the water and then escape mm-hmm. and have all of the White Widow's men like chasing her, chasing them, and uh, and then basically that exact situation comes up where they're, they're about to escape after they've pulled Solomon Lane out of the water and uh, Benji and Luther have, and they've put him in a boat and they've gone and picked up Ethan and, and, uh, and they're about to make their escape. They open up the garage door and there's a cop right there, just, you know, writing tickets and uh, sees them loading a b- dude with a bag on his head into his car. <laughs> and she's like, uh, hang on a little a second. It's just this little French cop lady. And uh, and they can't stop her because they're not going to. They're good guys. But then, yeah, those other guys come around and shoot her. And Ethan's decision to save her by killing these four guys who belong to the white widow who mm-hmm. he's supposed to be getting in good with is another situation where he could have totally just fucked up the mission <laughs> and, and maybe she won't give him the plutonium now because he wanted to save this one cop he's right. never met before in his <laughs> life. Cause he's supposed to be this, uh, he's the character of John Lark. You never get too much info, but they focus primarily on the fact that he caused a smallpox outbreak. Mm-hmm. So he has no problem killing women and children and especially cops. Like they even ask yeah. him that. So he's trying to figure out like by saving the cop, that means he's clearly not John Mark. So he's essentially blowing his cover. His cover's blown. Yeah. Um, but he's not going to execute a cop. He's not going to let this young woman die. Yeah. He even like helps her get pressure. He tells her to call it in. Like he's telling her like, mm-hmm. it's okay. It's okay. I'm sorry that you <laughs> saw us. Like <clears throat> yeah. his empathy and compassion is full display in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I think it's very well done for, for conveying the weight of the story. And also, I mean, the end of the movie does a very obvious, uh, just straight up tells you. Yeah you are the dude that will save one life <laughs> over millions. And we kind of need that. <laughs> right. We can't just have someone who is willing to sacrifice that one or two, three people in order to save a bunch of people. Uh, it can't be that heartless and logical and calculated. Mm-hmm. We need that heart 
to actually try to save everybody. Um, it, it's not long after. I mean, Fallout has so many moving pieces, and, and it's not long that um, Walter, right? Yeah, he's or Walker. He's given. Yeah. Uh, the CIA, like he's telling him, Hey, we've been looking for a guy who's potentially on the inside. <laughs> mm-hmm. This whole thing points to hunt. And once again, hunt is now being, Oh, you're, you're the guy, you're the villain. You're yeah. <laughs> you're like son of yeah. a bitch. And he, I mean, he does a pretty good job of, of convincing Angela Bassett. I mean, his speech is, all true he's like it's very true how many times can you be disavowed by your company and country and uh and not get a little pissed off (laughs) right Uh, yes ethan hunt has every reason to be a little bit distraught or uh, dissatisfied disgruntled i guess but uh yeah i mean but you're also dealing with ethan hunt who uh he fleshes out moles in his sleep (laughs) this is is part of his life yeah (laughs) and that's like my favorite is when they actually get solomon lane into the those catacombs oh the catacombs is a fantastic (laughs) sequence and uh and they have walker there and then huntley huntley comes in and uh and they're like okay we got to take solomon lane over to the white widow we're gonna dress up benji as him because we can't actually give him solomon lane and uh it's a good it's a good distraction for the audience i think mm-hmm. because this whole time ilsa's been trying to kill solomon that's like her whole thing she's trying to kill solomon lane and so they're like we're just going to dress up benji as solomon lane and they're like but wait but that means ilsa's going to be trying to kill you <laughs> yeah. and we need to prevent that from happening but that's also better than actually giving solomon lane over to these people so you're thinking about all of that while uh while walker is trying to actually uh, basically revealing that he is part of the syndicate well he i love his reveal the the whole thing they give him everything he wants and kind of Mm -hmm. needs Mm -hmm. and i love that he tells him like you gotta stay here with lane like don't touch him yeah. Like if you don't hear from us, then you can do it your way, essentially. And mm-hmm. uh, um, I love how the scene plays very fast. Yeah. Very fast. I love when Walker comes in and he's like talking to Lane. He spills the beans like, I'm John Lark. Mm-hmm. I'm the bad guy. Like, mm-hmm. My man of here to break you out. Yeah. <laughs> I love the reveal. <laughs> My one of my favorite yeah. things about the reveal is the fact that they have Solomon Lane himself standing front and center, having to mm-hmm. witness like his guy just gave it all up. Yeah, I love that. I love, <laughs> I that, love that so much. <laughs> I also love that it's. I mean, the lead up to that scene is that uh, the CIA has basically dogged on the IMF and yep. they're like, well, it's just Halloween over there. They're wearing rubber masks and it's, they, it's, it's silly. The things that they do, it's not real espionage. And, uh, and that Walker remembers that and he's like, Oh shit, are you actually wearing a rubber mask right now? <laughs> right. And it's just Benji there listening. And <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. So, Hi, just me wearing a rubber mask. <laughs> and, uh, it works. It's very effective. 
and so yeah then the he realizes oh i fucked up and they actually didn't leave and everybody heard that including solomon lane how embarrassing this guy who's <laughs> right the worst dude in the planet heard you screw up <laughs> and just when you're like because they have angela bassett on the line like she's video calling right and you're like damn yeah. got him got him <laughs> but then she's like I'm taking over. I don't trust any of you anymore. So her agents mm -hmm. all swarm. I love how this movie with this scene in particular, they go from you being so like, hell yeah. Yeah, we won to just, oh shit. In a matter of <laughs> a line. And it's all of, from Cavill. When they're like, it's like a two letter word when he's like, <laughs> go. And then, that all of the agents like turn on each other and start shooting and you're well, like yeah, oh you no find out i mean you realize that's in control Solomon of the cia Lane and john lark the apostles are there yeah like they've all been infiltrated for who knows how long this is just as bad if not worse than the syndicate mm -hmm. and you're like shit <laughs> yeah fortunately hunley tries to go fisticuffs one-on-one -on -one with superman <laughs> I mean, John Lark. Go well. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does not go well. Does so he, yeah, go he well gets he gets stabbed. The IMF has no director anymore, and uh, and then yeah, Solomon Lane is is kind of out in the wind, mm -hmm. and Walker or John Lark is also able to escape. <laughs> well, on this we we joked about it earlier. Tom Cruise running really fast in his movies. Yeah. He fucking sprints <laughs> his run through the city yeah. and like through the buildings and all that, jumping over yeah. buildings. On the roof, yeah. On the roof. He actually broke his ankle. They kept that shot in mm -hmm. when he makes that, yeah, big, that leap. big jump. Yeah. He actually broke his ankle when they shot it. So when you see him limp, he stayed in character to limp off camera. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah yeah that was wild but i love the uh this movie like it goes from being just an exciting intense thriller you know spy thriller that mission impossible movies are mm -hmm. but it takes a drastic turn when he like finally catches up to walker at the elevator and he's dangling from the bottom of it and walker's mm -hmm. just kind of looking at him and you're like no nah, that sucks <laughs> pulls out the picture and he's telling him like i see you again she dies and he mm -hmm. realizes it's julia and everything starts just kind of like oh god yeah we're back in mission possible three <laughs> right julia like, again. shit 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 <laughs> but obviously hunt can't just let it go he's got to mm -hmm. keep chasing him down i I love the line where Walker tells him, like, I'm her guardian angel. Like, it puts such a dark spin on that kind of title. Yeah. Obviously, it's going to come back later. But watching, like, Solomon Lane and Walker fly away on the helicopter with Hunt just being left on the rooftop, mm -hmm. it's so... Oh, what's the word? Uh, deflating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah it's a big <laughs> loss for sure to have Huge loss. not only not kept solomon lane in custody but also then 
learn who John Lark was and fail to stop him as well. It's it doesn't get worse, than that. <laughs> right? And, and now, still not know where the plutonium is, and uh, and, and just haven't won at all. Just an added layer to you is. Uh, oh, by the way, now Julia's life is mm-hmm. is in danger again. I love the conversation between Luther and Elsa when they're getting ready yeah. to like go after. I love Luther has always been Hunt's other voice. He's the guy mm-hmm. that's like, I know I'm the best. Mm-hmm. He's going to think this way. You got to just like, I need you to back off. Of course, he's yeah. not going to back off. He's good at, I guess, helping the team understand Ethan and his motivations mm-hmm. and, and being able to say, here's how he operates. It's not normal, but he's not a normal person and that's okay. And yeah, that whole conversation where he's talking to Ilsa is very interesting because he, he says that Ethan's only ever cared about two women and then goes on to describe how much he cares about Julia and, and looks out for her and make sure she's safe and all mm-hmm. this stuff. He doesn't come out and say it, but it's very obvious that Ilsa's the other one that he <laughs> right. really cares about. <clears throat> yeah they don't blatantly say it but it makes sense because they built it off of uh Rognation where mm-hmm. although she's untrustworthy for the entirety of Rogue Nation <laughs> and the first part of Fallout her and Hunt are essentially kind of in the same boat they understand yeah. each other very well and if Ethan Hunt's going to have a future relationship, it has to be yeah. someone that knows that world is a part of that world. And someone that he feels is capable, who can take care of herself, right. that, that he doesn't have to constantly be making sure she doesn't get killed. Ilsa is very capable of taking care of herself. <laughs> just so just a, little a little bit. bit of, a little peace of mind then. When they go to... Um, Fuck, what's the country they end up in? It's Kashmir. Uh, Kashmir. And they're like, everyone keeps talking. Why Why does he want this medical like group here? What's going on? You find out this is where the smallpox outbreak was. So you're like, you're connecting all the dots from John Lark mm-hmm. or Walker and Solomon Lane. But they keep saying like, why did he want this medical team, this doesn't like, it's the only piece of the puzzle that we can't figure out. Yeah. I will never forget having that sinking feeling. Like (laughs) Julia has to show up at some point. What's going to happen? Like, is she like Mm -hmm. maybe a hostage? But when you hear her say Ethan and he Mm -hmm. turns around, there's such a feeling of just like, God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, like it's like she didn't even have to get kidnapped. She was just there doing her job, living there. her life <clears throat> because it, it had all been set up and manipulated by Solomon Lane. Right. And you find out like, oh, no, this we didn't have to come. But some anonymous donor said they would donate all this shit as long as our mm-hmm. team was the one to come out here because they really liked our team. And you're like everything that mm-hmm. her new husband keeps saying you just feel worse and worse and worse. Yeah. <laughs> Cause you know, Julia knows exactly like 
oh, this is this is bad. If Ethan yeah. Hunt is here, <laughs> he doesn't go good places. It's not <laughs> no, like <fixed> no, <laughs> like it's all bad. Mm-hmm. But it adds to that added like dread of what's mm-hmm. potentially going to happen with two nuclear bombs going off in the same spot. Yeah, uh, yeah, and that spot is. Uh, I guess there's a bunch of glaciers and those melt and feed into India and China. Mm-hmm. And they're like a third of the world's population is in that area. So if you contaminate all of that, uh, yeah, it's going to be one of those great events that is, uh, that's like this in, in their manifesto, one of those massively terrifying events. Yeah. That... They talk about, uh, <laughs> the greater, the suffering, the greater, the peace, like that's part of yeah. this manifesto, uh, which, Kind of helps you understand that Solomon Lane has really turned from the notion of just being the anti-IMF or just being trying to Mm -hmm. destroy the governments from inside out. Now he's full on. Yeah. Like he's, he's a terrorist. Like this is official. He looks like a, he looks like, you know, Mm -hmm. crazy beard. No offense, Jake. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'm a little less crazy. I don't look like I've been in prison Just a for little less. Um, but it's like you really understand where Lane is, like his mentality really is. He is for the yeah. cause or his cause, not a good mm-hmm. cause, but a cause. Um, but this is some of the stuff that like stunt wise was some of the most intense to watch in the theater. Mm-hmm. The whole thing with the helicopter. Oh, it's such a, it's a climax of the movie in every sense of the word from finding out that there are two different bombs. They're not really knowing where they are. The team splitting up to search for them and, and knowing that Solomon Lane and Walker are also there somewhere. And then, yeah, finding the helicopter, they set it up that it's impossible of course mission impossible it's impossible to stop these bombs once they start unless they can pull the key out of the detonator remote and then cut to uh, a wire on each one simultaneously mm-hmm. but you can't do any of that until after the timer has started so you right. have to let the bombs get armed and then you can try and do this mission it's right. like and so they they do all of that and they realize that walker is taking the remote on an air on a helicopter and so ethan chases him and yeah all of the air helicopter flying first of all tom cruise really flew helicopters which is a crazy (laughs) thing to me like i don't know why it's so weird like uh, of course you can jump out of airplanes you can do all these things but it's really hard to fly a helicopter. And so and, for him to be like, you know what? I'm just going to learn how to fly <laughs> So he did and does. Um, and he, not only does he fly a helicopter, but he pulls it out of a spin that stunt coordinators said you can't do. Like you, you shouldn't be able to do that. And he's like, I'm just going to go do it. I'm going to go try and do it. And I'll put it into a spin and it'll be really hard to get it out, but we'll do it. And it's so exhilarating to watch the entire (laughs) sequence and i guess they had a hard time finding a country that would let them have a helicopter chase through the mountains and then uh, eventually uh, new zealand let them do it (laughs) and so they're like okay we have mountains let's go ahead and set the movie in the 
Alps or the Himalayas or whatever. <laughs> yeah, right. We, we need mountains. <laughs> Make sure there are mountains at some point in the end here. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's just it's that, the way that it's all one. edited together, because you've got Luther who finds the first bomb and he's trying mm-hmm. to just prep it. He's got mm-hmm. to take all the faceplate off, get some wires have to get cut early so you can get down mm-hmm. to like underneath the, the circuit board, the main board to get to the wire that will need to be cut. Of course, Julia walks up on him. She's trying to figure out, like, this is really happening. And they're like, you yeah. got to get her out of there. And Luther's line of just like, where else is she going to go? It's so mm-hmm. devastating. You're like, he's being so realistic right now of. Yeah. There is a very high chance that this mission completely fails and we're all going to die. Yeah. So it won't matter where she's at if this happens. Mm-hmm. I also love the dynamic between Luther and Julia. Like yeah. you get the idea that I'm sure because he is Ethan's best friend as well, that they had a close relationship. But I think he says earlier in the movie that when he's talking to Ilsa about she's just been able to stay in hiding because she learned from the best. I taught her how to like, <laughs> yeah. how to kind of stay under the radar. And so, you know, they've spent a lot of time together and have this rapport. And so it's kind of, cute to see them kind of work together at the end there work together and and i like that you can tell they're very honest with each other luther doesn't try to mince words with her she doesn't Mm -hmm. try to like beat around it it's very just honest i think that's a really cool dynamic between the two Mm -hmm. but yeah and then you've got benji and ilsa who are running through medical tents trying to find like stuff that'll spike the radiation meters whatever they're called find the other bomb to find the other bomb elsa figures out like oh the other bomb is with lane and i Mm -hmm. see lane in this house and benji is still stuck with like oh no i think i found it over here in these crates and he's busting off locks and shit (laughs) of course elsa is gonna get the shit beat out of her because lane is still although a crazy terrorist he's still a fighter he's still an ex yeah he knows what he's doing uh, and then everyone talks about Cruz flying the helicopter, which is absolutely nuts. It's so ridiculous that he did this. Mm-hmm. What made me when I watched this the first time in the theater made my stomach kind of drop mm-hmm. was the lead up to him flying the <laughs> helicopter where he's climbing the payload to, yeah. and he's trying to get his feet up and he falls backwards and then mm-hmm. catches himself on the payload. watching that in the theater was like "Uh, uh, nope nope (laughs) like (laughs) yeah yeah i I saw a video where apparently someone on the production didn't know that was like a stunt that was being performed and so when he missed that putting his legs up there and fell down first of all tom cruise really did that uh, but somebody over the radio was like i think we just lost tom <laughs> yeah <laughs> no he's okay he's supposed to fall down like 50 feet and land on this thing flying in the air yeah it's totally okay <laughs> we're fine you're like nothing that you just said <laughs> yeah. is fine and okay this guy is you should be concerned it's a red flag <laughs> right right <laughs> come on folks quit ignoring them but all the all those different elements that continue to add up and the fact that the bomb's on a timer 
mm-hmm. the chase through the the mountains. You've got Walker who's firing the gun and he hits, you know, Ethan Hunt's helicopter a handful yeah. of times. And you just, everything is just constantly like, how the hell are we going to get through this? Like everything mm-hmm. about it is telling you, you know, they're going to make it, but they can't make it like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And my favorite thing about that whole sequence, obviously, it's kind of a cliche that the bomb will get down to one second and they'll be able to stop it. Like that's become a cliche. But the way that they do it is so clever, Mm -hmm. where Ethan loses communication with the team. And so they have no way to know if he's pulled the key out or not. But they have to wait for him to pull the key out before they can cut their wires. And so their only option is to really wait until the last possible second, cut their wires and hope that he's gotten the key out. <laughs> right. <laughs> For all they know, he did it 10 minutes ago. But <laughs> of course, it takes him until the last possible second to actually get it. And I love when Benji or when uh, Luther's like, well, we'll do it at two seconds. And then, and if Benji had not convinced him to do it at one second instead, <laughs> he may have not gotten it, the key in time. <laughs> right. Like, no, we, we have to buy him at least one more second. Like, mm-hmm. Luther's really the one, you know, they decide we'll cut it on the last second. It'll buy him time. You know, that's as much as we can afford to buy him. Yeah. Uh, and I just love how Luther is like, despite Benji being, we got to buy him that extra one. Luther's really the only one that's like, he's going to do it. He's going to do it. He always yeah. does it. Like, you just have to trust him to do it. Mm-hmm. I love the uh, the whole helicopter after they've crashed and they're kind of fighting and like both helicopters, what's left of them are still just like sliding that ravine and all that or that crevice. Yeah, Their quick like fist fight that they got don't even try to tell me the first time you saw this movie when they kicked the remote and it like stops on the edge of the cliff that you weren't like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Absolutely. was (laughs) in terms of villain deaths. Oh my God. Top 10. It's so satisfying. (laughs) It's so satisfying because he's, He's very much like Ethan. He's an unstoppable force as well. Mm-hmm. And you, you're like, just, it needs to be over because we're running out of time. And so when Ethan sees it and pulls on that cord and, and the hook comes down and catches him in the face, you're like, Ooh, but also, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so, it's a split second, but it's so satisfying. Just that that quick sound. I mean, the sound, the image, the fall, everything about it. You're like, yes, Mm. now get your ass up there because you got to get that key. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, Tom Cruise actually scaled the side of that mountain. Oh, I mean, free free climbing a mountain is no big deal at this point. I'm not even impressed by it anymore. Yeah. (laughs) I love when they're like, when Ethan wakes up, and Luther asks him, like, so how close were we? And he does the, like, the usual. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love the tongue-in-cheek, <laughs> just the, like, they made, they they put the spin for the last second of the bomb. Yeah. And then they just leaned into it a little more with, like, it's always the last second. Like, 
it's the usual mm-hmm. like oh. yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's amazing i can't <sighs> wait for for dead reckoning like we got a couple weeks for it it's mm-hmm. every time i watch this preview i know the big stunt everyone's talking about right now is the the motorcycle jump the motorcycle jump yeah yeah, because he actually does this jump. Like, this is a real jump. The only thing that they changed is when they filmed the jump, they had to build a ramp so that the terrain yeah. wouldn't fuck it all up. Um, yeah, so it's all CGI'd on the surface. So, the yeah, the, the ramp is just taken out of the scene and covered up with the CGI, like, terrain. But yeah. Tom Cruise actually did this jump base and jump skydive and, off yeah. of a fucking mountain on the motorcycle. motorcycle. Yeah. I keep telling myself every one of these entries, they focus on the one on one of the big stunts. Right. But that means there's something else in this movie that he's going to do. That's going to make everyone just like <laughs> shit themselves. Oh, that's, have, there's going to be four or five things where you're and, like, Oh my God. I and I have no that. clue even how to figure out what it's going to be. Obviously it's going to be a crazy car chase. We're going to see that again. Mm-hmm. See him running like crazy again in the trailer. But I'm like, I, I want to know. I don't recognize this new villain. I was like, he hasn't no. been in any of the other films. Yeah. But he calls Hunt like old friends. So I'm curious to know who he is. I'm curious to know what's all about to happen. But I get the sense that Dead Reckoning 1 and 2 are very much going to culminate on the heels of what fallout story really ended up being of like, Mm -hmm. these are the consequences to your empathy, to your compassion. Yeah, man. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I think that it's going to be a lot of building off of that. I also think that there's going to be a lot of going back to the beginning Mm -hmm. with Kittredge showing up. I think that when Hunley died in, fallout it left the imf without a director it's possible that kittredge comes back to be mm-hmm. the director of the imf um or it's possible he switched sides and now he's in charge <laughs> of whoever uh, this new villain is and he's like this new secret villain um i'm very interested in harry l's character whoever he ends up being i'm very interested in Haley atwell's character she looks awesome I'm of most interested, I think, in where Elsa goes from here. Yeah. Because she's still not really joined the IMF. She's kind of <laughs> doing her own thing. She likes Ethan, I guess. I hope she likes likes him. Well, I mean, Fallout kind of shows the two of them kind of having like a moment together. They've already hinted mm-hmm. that there's something between the two of them. But we've got the White Widow is back. Yeah. She looks kind of pissed off in the one shot that you see of her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think she was a fan favorite. Uh, so I'm definitely interested to see what happens with her. There's a scene with Ilsa in the desert in the trailer where she has an eye patch on. Yeah. And I don't know if it means she loses an eye, which is the first thing you assume, or if it's like some operational thing. Cause I mm-hmm. think, I think sometimes that's a thing that you do is you like can protect your night vision uh in one eye if you have to like 
go underground oh, or okay. into a building or something and it goes from light to dark it's helpful to do that so maybe it just looks cool and she didn't lose an eye but also if she lost an eye that's pretty badass so that's fine too i feel like obviously the bad guy is going to come for the team they do that a lot but this one feels a little more intense yeah it's almost like they're I don't want to say I think they're going to kill someone on the team in this one, but mm -hmm. it feels like one person's probably going to be a big target and I'm scared. It's Who do you be Uther. I, I think that you could be right. For some reason, I feel like Benji's innocence makes him safest. Yeah. And I think it is possible that, especially if you want a death that motivates Ethan into the finale, it would probably be Luther. Yeah. I don't think even Julia would do that for you. <laughs> I don't, you I don't want to see anyone on the team die. I'm not going to lie. Normally I'd be yeah. like, yeah, take someone out. <laughs> this is, this is that one franchise. I'm like, please don't, please don't mm -hmm. take any of these guys out. But what we'll if it out. was Ilsa? But it was more of like, uh, hey, it's the job. I have to I have to do this thing. And it was just never meant to be between us kind mm -hmm. of thing. I could see maybe Ilsa being that one as well. I could see that. I could see that. I think it's weird to try and figure out how they're going to end it. Because mm -hmm. part of you wants to see Hunt like be able to walk away. Yeah. Finally have some peace and quiet in his life. Mm -hmm. Or you could almost see him becoming the director of the IMF. Yeah. But I don't know how I would feel about that, honestly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it never goes well for the director of the IMF. It doesn't go well for the director, but it also, I don't know that it would fit the personality of Ethan Hunt. Yeah, I agree. Because he's never cared about the politics of the job. He cares about the mission and the people. Mm -hmm. That's not the director's. No. <laughs> any of the director's uh, personas. But no, I'm curious, man. I'm so excited. I'm glad that they've kept so much of it under wraps, even with the trailer. And yeah. it, I don't feel like it gives anything away, really. I think that. I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm very excited for it. I think the synopsis is so vague. I think everything's so vague. I just I hope nobody spoils it online, kind of what the deal is. You can't really, because the story is interesting. I love the story, <laughs> but most people don't go for the story. You mm -hmm. go for the experience and you can only get the experience by watching it. It can't well, really and, be spoiled. But that's the cool thing. You we've talked about it before. And I think we even talked about it earlier at the start of this of like one of the great things about this franchise is they show you the spectacle. Mm -hmm. So you show up for the spectacle, but then they're going to give you a story that you find yourself being invested in, whether you mean to be or not. You just kind of, yeah. you are trying to figure out what's going on. You're, you're rooting for Ethan. You're rooting for the team. Mm -hmm. you, you want the bad guy to get stopped. Cause you know, like these are real villain. Like these are bad guys. Yeah. So I think they do that, that cool thing of just, they bring you in off of the flash and then they're like, 
here's what you're really here for. And before you realize it, I mean, your audience keeps showing up in droves, mm -hmm. man. Yeah. Yeah. You, <laughs> you fall in love with the characters and care about them and, and want to see them succeed and want to see all the missions they go on. So you're immediately along for the ride. And everyone, the moment they start playing the, the theme song in the trailers, everyone is just like, <laughs> you're pumped. You're excited. Yeah. It gets your blood going <laughs> for sure. I'm so excited for Dead Reckoning. Oh, man. Yeah. I feel be like it's been time. a long time. This movie's been delayed for so many reasons. If I remember yeah. right, they started filming back in 2020. Yeah. It was, I think, supposed to come out last year or the yeah. year before. And then. Uh, it was going to compete with Top Gun Maverick. And so they're like, we'll just wait a whole nother year. And you're like, fuck. I was <laughs> mad about that. I can't wait a whole nother year. But here we are. We made it alive. <laughs> we made it. <laughs> then we'll have to wait a whole nother year for the, the conclusion. <laughs> yeah, at least. at least. Have they finished it yet? I don't know. I think they did. I think they did finish production or finish filming. I hope so. Let's see what it says. Bed Reckoning Part 2 status. Yeah, scheduled for release June 28th, 2024. Just release it. Do you remember? I kind of wish someone would do it again because no one does it or has done it since. But do you remember when the Matrix sequels were coming out? They released them a month apart. It was like a month or two apart. Both of the last two movies? Yeah. Well, except for four. No, I don't remember that. I remember that because they, and that was like, they did it on purpose where they're like, we're going to finish the second one. And if you stayed for the teaser, which was the mm -hmm. post credit scene, it gave you the official trailer for the finale. And then it was like, it came out a couple months after that. Oh, yeah. Reloaded and Revolutions both came out in 2003, although it was May and November. So oh, okay. So apart. it was a little bit longer. It was, was that six months apart? Still. But within the same calendar year. Yeah. Within the same year. I. That's crazy. I think that's kind of cool. It like, is super cool. It's like, hey, you love that thing? You're going to see another one this year. Right. Like, because then you have that previous installment fresh in everyone's head still. Chances are yeah. people are still talking about it. Mm -hmm. No one does that anymore. Someone should do that again. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like Peter Jackson filming all three Lord of the Rings and just mm -hmm. doing them at one a year, not waiting for production to finish um, or whatever, or waiting for the movie to come out to make sure right. you can make another one. People do that too much. Uh, I mean, you kind of have to, but it's not as fun. It's much more fun to get it when it's fresh and, and also kind of build that wave of excitement in audiences of let, of owning that summer or owning that year. That'd be really cool. See more people need to do that. Get on that. All right. Yeah. Hey, movie producers get on that. All right. I think that's all the movies. That was we all the movies. Anymore. I, I'm all. amazed we got through it all in four hours. That was very, that was pretty quick. Yeah. It was pretty wild quick. ride. I just, it's such a fantastic franchise. It's crazy to think it started in 1996. We're almost, it's almost 30 years old. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's and crazy. It, and it's just gotten bigger. That to right. me, like that proves it's one of the best franchises ever. If mm-hmm. not, like, sorry, Fast and Furious, but <laughs> people go to watch your movies because they're just like, we've watched this many so far. Yeah. Fast and Furious is like the wish.com version of what these movies are. (laughs) It's like, yeah, it's a spectacle. And yeah, I'll see some crazy stuff happen. But it's also not real. And I also don't care that much. (laughs) I'm not emotionally invested in these characters. Whereas these movies, like, no, it's all real. And also it's happening to people you actually care about. Yeah, and there's a good story on the underneath all of that. And how exciting are is it that Tom Cruise said when it came to like the driving stunts, the ones that they were allowed to do, he was like, "We just did it. Mm-hmm. Like, we just yeah, we weren't yeah, going to CGI a car chase. We just did it." The, yeah, the <laughs> promos for Dead Reckoning, where they're talking about the car chases, and it all looks so good, and they have these cobblestone streets in this tiny little car and it's just like bouncing along it's impossible to control in a skid uh and is and yeah the way that they said that that you know what we're just gonna do everything practical and do it for real and you can tell tom cruise's entire philosophy especially since maverick has just been we're doing this for the audience we're doing it for the fans and we want them to have a good time and everything serves that goal i think that audiences connect to that and and they're gonna see his movies for that reason alone do you feel that he kind of had a shift of mentality after the mummy flopped due to his like overtaking of production it it was famously talked about he took over (laughs) forced him to put in all those action sequences because he thought it was cool Mm-hmm. but he didn't make the movie for the audience. So the backlash of that, I really feel like he kind of had a like, okay, yeah, let's get back to like why people go to the movies. Let's get back to, cause his, his whole thing, everything about him has seemed to like shift a little bit. I do think so. I think that just the way he talks about the movie making progress process has changed completely since then. And it could be that he, He's like, oh, shit, people don't just show up for that. They mm-hmm. show up for this. And he was actually able to figure it out that. And and it does seem like his whole philosophy changed to being more like, no, this is for the audience. They want to see this. We're going to give them this. And we're going to be super grateful for them to, for showing up. <laughs> right. Like when he made when he made that video uh, about, hey, thanks for seeing Maverick and making it so huge. We really, really appreciate it. I think those things show the audience that you care way yeah. more than, than what most people do. And so I think that that's why people will see his movies more than they would for like just a normal Marvel movie or something mm-hmm. They're like, Oh, it's a cool action movie, but this is more than a cool action movie because of, I think the way it's made. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I'm so excited for it. I'm ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm so ready. Every time I watch a trailer, I am just mm-hmm. like, let's do this. Like, yeah. let's do this. <laughs> yeah, it's a phenomenal franchise, and I'm very interested to see how it ends. Yeah, me too. It'll be weird when it ends for me. Like, this is one that I've been watching since the beginning, since the first movie. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's not a franchise that was like shown to me mm-hmm. and then it it continued this is like this might be the first real franchise for me like at least uh, at this size yeah it's weird yeah it's exciting it's weird it'd be weird not having a, a new mission impossible coming out every like four years it's the end of an era for sure. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, let us know. I mean, Mission Impossible has been a big part of like our upbringing. Um, yeah. Clearly, we're fans. Uh, I think I've had it show up on a couple lists, and we've talked about mm-hmm. it numerous times. Uh, if you ever want to understand stunt work and just how brilliant and crazy all of it is, that uh, you can go into it. I mean, these movies are there. And you should yeah. watch the like the behind the scenes, the specials that they do, because they showcase stunts all the time for this franchise. Mm-hmm. Not just because it's Tom Cruise, but the stunt themselves. Uh, check it out. Yeah. It's... Yeah, I think John Wick gets a lot of praise for changing how action movies were done. But I don't think we would have John Wick without the stunts in these movies yeah. pushing things forward as well. I think that they were and continue to be groundbreakers in the category of stunt work for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. And it, <laughs> but yeah, it, I want to know uh, audience what you love about the, about all of the mission impossible movies and mm-hmm. kind of what, what makes you connect to it and what puts your ass in the seat in the theater. Uh, is it just the stunts or is there, is there something deeper you connect to like, uh, like it is for us? Yeah. I'm curious. I'm excited. I'm. I hope you guys are all excited. Projections are showing that the globe is mm-hmm. ready for Dead Reckoning Part One. Um, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure people are going to be like jonesing for it, especially after the disaster that was the Flash. Yeah. The like divisiveness of Indiana Jones. I think people yeah. are ready for this one. I think know. it could be it could be another Maverick. It could be the biggest movie of the year. It may not be as big as Super Mario Brothers, but that is hard to compete with a family animated movie that also is for a franchise that hasn't had a movie and since it's been made, right? That people care about for the last thirty <laughs> years. Uh, so, in spite of that, I think maybe second best biggest movie of the year. I think it's going to be big. I'm hoping it's gigantic one. Cause I'm a fan, but also like, it'd be awesome for my draft to get a, a little boost. <laughs> yeah. Um, couldn't hurt you. <laughs> but yeah. Let us know what you love about Ethan Hunt and the IMF. Um, or if you've never watched it, if you haven't, why? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Hopefully you're aren't going to do the end of this. And uh, we just now, asked you if you've ever seen these movies because we did spoil all of them basically Um, although you can't really spoil it because like I said it is mostly about the experience I can tell you Tom Cruise climbs the tallest building in the world on the outside but you really just have to see it you really just need to go watch it because it's go watch these movies they're incredible (laughs) and as always thank you everybody we appreciate you go get some cool swag yeah, uh, we've got some dope merch. Dustin's wearing a sweet, sweet hat. It's very nice. It's so comfortable, dude. It's so comfortable. <laughs> okay. You gotta get me one of them. Uh, yeah, get your stuff. Let us know what you love about Mission Impossible or whatever. Uh, and yeah. we'll see you guys next time, all right? Sounds good. See you guys there.
Bye.